Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we ordinarily read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Sometimes, because we've read several novelizations starring Mr. Bruce Batman, we will allow ourselves to discuss his new film, though it exists untethered to any book. This is at once a celebration of a character we love, and also a cynical ploy to game search engine optimization, hoping to get some new listens from people stumbling wide-eyed out of a three-hour blockbuster and blearily typing Batman into their Spotify search bar. It can be two things. We're your hosts, a loose coalition of vengeance enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. And I'm Hannah Blackman. The Batman is a 2022 superhero film based on the DC Comics character, The Batman. The story follows the Bruce Wayne, an orphaned billionaire who has almost completely disappeared into his alter ego, the crime-fighting vigilante, the titular Batman. When the mayor of the Gotham City is brutally murdered with serial killer flair, riddles are uncovered at the crime scene, ones that specifically call out the Batman himself. Yanked from his life of surreptitiously punching burglars, the Batman must over... <laughs> Sorry, I no, worked myself into this bit and I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Yanked from his life of surreptitiously punching burglars, the Batman must overturn every stone in the Gotham City, illuminating its myriad of criminal elements in order to save innocent people from this craven, the Riddler. The I think that if you were to jump ship on the bit, it yeah. would be even sadder. Well, I'm going to do it the whole time, though. So <laughs> nothing is funnier than the Batman. The novelization of The Batman doesn't exist because Warner Brothers doesn't believe in the novelizations industry. We would have read it, but he let us down. So no book for us. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very disappointed in that. And here's yes. the thing, listener. Be you a diehard authorized fan or be you a new fan. We're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. Every single aspect. We're going to turn it over. I, I honestly, I hate when I listen to podcasts and they're like... Oh yeah, this is like no spoilers discussion of it's it's so spineless. Anyway, I don't know how you do it. I'm incapable of not like sharing the detail. You know, and they're like, yeah. you know that one part. I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> Hannah, I don't. for the listener. <laughs> I do. Um, sorry. <laughs> I like the idea that I would get invited onto like a no spoilers podcast, and I'd be so afraid to break the rule that I'd go. So the guy's name's Bruce Wayne, and he's a billionaire who doesn't do much <laughs> end of conversation that's his deal exactly i won't spoil what happens but he's a rich guy <laughs> our guest today returning favorite of ours maybe the listeners we haven't polled them host of the max and tony show an actor and podcaster in his own right and a great guy all around Max Fitzpatrick. Max, how are you doing tonight? The bridge. Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm 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 still returning to normal. Uh, still still think I'm emo Bruce Wayne, but it's okay. I'm I'm coming back. Coming back to me. I think PETA really has their hands full right now between the new Jackass movie being pissed off about that, right, and the fact that the biggest blockbuster in the world plays a song twice. That says fish don't have any feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Um, and that reminds me, I was, we were, um, my buddy and I were listening to that song, and uh, he's like, "See, they're hypocrites too. They eat the fish and stuff." And I'm like, 
is that what that means? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, the line is, it's okay to eat. Yeah, food. yeah. It's not, I am actively doing something. Right, right. I am singing through mouthfuls of cod. Yeah. So, Max, prior to going to see the Batman, the three-hour epic starring Robert Pattinson and others. Yes. What was your relationship to Batman in general? Were you a fan of his movies? And if so, which series of movies? And what were your expectations going into this, the Matt Reeves iteration? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I definitely love Batman. I was born in 92. So I think the 89 and uh, whenever Returns came out, you know, carried into my, you know, childhood there. And then, you know, as I'm five and six, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin come out. So I, I felt like I was destined to be a Batman fan. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. our generation, like, I, you're, you're my age, right, Andrew? Like, what, you're... I'm, f- I'm 56. How old are you? We have, we have extremely close birthdays, I think. We've done this before. Yeah. I just feel like our era especially 90s kids were destined to get trapped into certain things like batman has got to be one of them and yeah i loved batman and i think you know going through the motions of everything you're just like yeah batman's awesome it's great and then you get to the dark knight and you're like whoa this is a game changer this isn't just some superhero movie this is like something this is something different, right? This, you know, mm-hmm. Heath Ledger, you know, that performance is everything. I feel like it's in the top 10 of characters you can put in cinema, arguably, you know, whatever. He sw- ruined Batman movies because all I mean, Batman movies yeah, must have a joke right, in them. Right, right, <laughs> right, totally. So I felt also The Dark Knight kind of ruined some things in a way, not to be like cynical or anything, but ju- and just to be jokey about it, like, there was a lot of copycats out there and a lot of failures that, you know, tried to you be... You mean the guys in the Batman suits at the beginning of The Dark Knight? Oh, uh, <laughs> they were wearing hockey pads. Um, but yeah, sorry, corny joke. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, no, I, I just thought it sparked a lot of bad superhero movies and it was sort of the root of that era, which like, you know we kind of talk about today where we're like, yeah, they're just kind of thrill rides or whatever, whatever, what have you. I think there's some great movies that have been made, you know, superhero movie wise, but I think this movie also kind of sparked like some bad stuff. It does seem that we're still stuck in the cycle of, yeah, the go-to idea is still a gritty reboot. Right. To the point where the idea for this yeah. Batman series seems to be <laughs> what if even more dark and gritty. Right. Now, Max, one question about your your background with the man is were you raised to sort of hold those Burtons and the Schumachers in equal regard because I feel like that's rare. No, 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 not at all. I know the first two are better than the the last two, but I'm not taking a stand. I'm just saying, I, I'll say this. popular opinion Here's, is that the Schumachers he, are not great. No, no, the Schumachers are terrible, but I will say some things about them. The set design, you know, Schumacher was a set designer. The set design is amazing. It's beautiful. It's um, And the costume, despite all the nipples and stuff, they're fun. Um, 
no, they're very fun movies. They're just poorly written and poorly cast. And uh, except, I think Val Kilmer was a decent Batman. Yeah. Um, We're mi- all pro Val, man. Yeah, just a little misused. Um, but what you know, they're obviously not great movies. They are fun. Um, there's no doubt about that, and they're nostalgic for for us, I I believe. But no, obviously those Tim Burton ones are so much better. I mean. <laughs> I, I love the Tim Burton one still. And, um, yeah. Hannah, do you feel like I'm pimping you into a fight? Oh, no. I'm not going to have the fight. Um, What's, well, what would be the the fight? I, I'm a huge Schumacher defender. <laughs> oh, okay. He's like my number one dude in the world. Oh, okay, cool. Um, cool. I, I like those two, having seen them for this podcast. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, a... I like those movies fine. Right. Just doing different things. Okay. No. And I wish we had a little more room for the light, fun Batman again. Uh, I miss him. I miss his world. I miss his villains who are like fucking freakazoids of nature and mm-hmm. not just like people with problems. Right, you know? right. I really, really miss like growing up for my, I don't know, maybe we talked about this. Watch the animated series a lot and like read a lot of comics, like old, old, old yeah. comics, Batman comics, where like, it was like, cool, this guy is made of mud and he's a mud man you know right this guy has a genetic deformity where he is literally part frog or whatever yeah. and you'd be like cool so batman's a normal guy in a world of freaks and that's kind of what <laughs> i like about him and no movie has done that since batman and robin yeah well way to bring up the animated series that actually that i feel like that carried everything really and yeah um, that's the yeah that yeah i think many people our age it, Batman. that's so funny because while i i do remember those days and like the batman beyond series and all all of that i do remember my dad bringing home like batman year one and stuff like that and be like and him being like his like inner teenager being like I want them to make, even though the, it didn't come out when he was a teenager, but it, he's like, I want them to make a version of Batman like this so bad. And it's like, I feel like it, it, it's for those guys, right? But yeah, I do think movies like that and James Bond, for that matter, I won't go down that road too deep, but I feel like we need to get more to a comedic version of that, in my opinion. I don't think you can go down another Daniel Craig road, whatever. I won't, you shouldn't. I won't go I down agree. James Bond too hard, but I do agree that... Sometimes there needs to be, like, another swing back to the other side of, like, where he is living in this really, like, science fiction-y world, too. I, I do agree with that. I, I love like that Batman, the too. Batman opens the door to that stuff in a way that, like, the Nolan Batman never, ever did. But, like, if Rob Pattinson, Batman, sad weirdo, like, opened the door one day and, like, a, a man made of ice was there, I'd be like, this fits in the world. Yeah. You know, like, it would work. And I'm looking forward to that. I hope that's something they do. And it's kind of a funny movie. I laugh. We can <laughs> yeah. get there. It, it is weird. It's this weird dichotomy. It's like the movie really goes for darker, more emo Batman. But you're right, at the same time, it, like, heightens everything to the point where it feels like it could go in more ridiculous directions. Am I yeah. doing that podcast co-host thing that where I just repeat what you said? <laughs> I don't mind. I think you made it more coherent and yeah. cogent than how I said it. But, yeah. I, so, I, of course, I, I think we all liked this movie. Um, I, I will say just one more thing before we jump in. I disagree. I think you could make a James Bond that's quote-unquote grittier. This movie made me be like, never say 
it's gotten Never as dark again. as it can go. Because they could, they you know, the next James Bond could be the saddest freak in the world. We right, don't know. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I, I, it, they shouldn't, is the point. It's just per, per, personally for me, and uh, just to, and I know I'm, the authorized uh, fans might clobber me i i don't know but roger moore is my favorite james bond just because i thought he spent more time getting his ass kicked and like and like being this flirty charming guy and and i i just thought if bond could go back to this sort of like one-liner comedic guy who's kind of like like how do i how do i get myself out of this situation this nine foot guy with metal teeth is is kicking my ass i I kind of just want that back in my life, but I just want yeah. Bond, who's like, I like my job. I'm having fun. This is wild, huh? Yeah. Like, I and I have a drink every Bond now and then. Like, I can't. I can't wait to quit for too many movies. I don't right. want a guy who wants to quit. I want a guy who wants to do his job. Right. Which is another reason I like this Batman. He kind of likes being Batman. Hannah, stop trying to get us to talk about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Sorry, Max. I think that your your point brings us into the movie nicely about. Roger Moore, which is the beginning of this movie. The first 15 minutes are like impeccable. Yeah. And I think that one of the great things about them is it it makes Pattinson seem scary as Batman while he simultaneously takes licks in that fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the train station that make you go, okay, it's still a human man getting his ass beat. Yes, I I did note this. You genuinely fear for him. You genuinely fear for him when he's in these situations. Like, um, I'll 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 save my favorite scene, but you know that part. Well, maybe I'll just go into my favorite scene. Just do it. Okay, okay, screw it. Okay, so I I so the police station escape scene. Where he's running through the hallway and these yes! cops oh, are chasing him. So good. First of all, it's the ultimate glue scene because it's between the scene where Skarsgård Skarsgård blows up, and then the <laughs> and then it's the next scene after that is the double cross scene of the drug deal scene. So I just it, that mm-hmm. between those two scenes just makes this whole sequence just so beautiful, and you're just on the ride, and it's the best part of the ride in my opinion. But the it's best so scene. So funny to watch yeah. him run down a hallway that's very well lit yeah it's like and, amazing yes and you really do think if all those cops did somehow corner him get a hold of him they could all doggy pile onto him and maybe yes. get him it's yeah and it's it, frightening. it reminds me it reminds me of those of those levels in like super mario or like early sonic where you're just trying to get up as like the water level rises yes. or a sea of enemies yes. a literal sea of enemies mm-hmm. rises below yeah. you it's like I could take any one of these guys, but there are one. Right. (laughs) And then when he uses like the wings, that's like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone using the little like, uh, like the zip tie thing. Like, look, I I built it. I don't know if it's going to work. Here it goes. And it's the top of that building and is visibly afraid of. Yes. And and the (laughs) camera, the camp, the way the camera is going down and it makes you feel like you're on that ride. I, my ass leapt out of my seat just a little bit and it hasn't done that since i saw hostel 
and 2005 when like somebody got ran over by a car and I was like a kid I'd never seen <laughs> but I swear to god it was bringing me back to moments that I enjoyed in theaters previously and that's why I think this is such a great movie I don't mean to like this sounds like such a conclusion no. I'm about to walk he out tries the door to pull a parachute thrashes yeah. into a bridge hits the ground yeah. and has to limp so away good. It's the sh- limp it's away so, is so funny it's so nice good to see a superhero who is like physically um, vulnerable, yes. emotionally vulnerable, yes. and just like he's a human guy, he's, we can yeah. all relate to him. I too don't want to hit a bridge. <laughs> this scene is like I a perfect <laughs> sandwich because yeah. the meat of it is legitimately tense mm-hmm. and exciting and kinetic. I mean, I'll get into my love for Matt Reeves, but this is like <laughs> I already loved him for the two Planet of the Apes movies he did, yeah. which like. You just you hear that there's going to be a new Planet of the Apes trilogy, and you're like, that doesn't sound good, especially if you've seen the sequels. You're like, I'm pretty sure in Planet of the Apes five they were just living under the Earth, <laughs> like while civilization <laughs> happened, and then for somehow they're just the most exciting action movies, like basically made in years. And so uh, okay, this, okay, I loved them. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad you love them. I'm just going to put my little okay, gonna, okay on the okay. best action movies of recent years. That's all. I'm no. All I I'm would doing. say I would say made in years because they're pre. If I'm remembering correctly, they're like pre Mad Max Four, which I would put above them. Anyway, this is not super important. The meat <laughs> of that scene is like top tier Reeves stuff. That's tense, and the bread is the one slice of bread is at the end, he fucking hits the bridge and walks it off kind of embarrassed. And at the beginning, it's that scene where he and Gordon's idea of acting is that (laughs) Gordon does De Niro face while delivering every line. He literally is just... Another scene where I'm like, look, if we're worried about the humor of this dark and gritty movie, here's a scene (laughs) where Batman and Jim Gordon whisper to each other in a well-lit room, and then Batman's like, you want me to punch you in the face now? Right now, right now. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) But Jeffrey Wright's choice in that scene is to just do De Niro in in Meet the Parents. He's just scrunching (laughs) his face up and being like, do you really want me to punch you? Yes, And it's like... It's great. It's a great choice because he is acting as Gordon acting badly. It's so funny you say De Niro because there's a guy doing a Brando impression minutes before that. You're going to vouch for this scumbag? This guy's yes! his voice. I, I put his name. It's Chief Mackenzie Bach. And he's played by Con O'Neill. And I just want to say thank you. That that Those three minutes you gave us, less than three minutes, of just like his voice was so unintentionally funny. I have a, I have a list of unintentionally funny stuff. That voice is just like gold. I think almost every yeah. scene with a... I mean, I think Jim Gordon in this movie is very funny. Yes. But every scene with a cop who isn't Jim Gordon is also funny yeah. in a different way. Yes. Max, I, I'm going to go so far as to say the inclusion of that actor was bad because I had the exact same thought in the theater. And the whole scene, I was like, why is this guy doing old Brando? Brando? <laughs> like, it's, he's not doing like hunk Brando, which has informed much of modern cinema. Right. He's doing the Godfather. Yeah. It's, I love it. I love it. I couldn't it, stop thinking it's about it. So, I like, couldn't focus on the I, scene. I was... I was anticipating it was the like you know how like you're watching it for the second time and you're like oh I I can't wait till this happens again and this happens 
I was waiting for the guy's voice. I was like, I can't believe I held on to the voice. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, I gotta hear it again. And I knew it was funny because I'm, I like my second viewing was with Zoe, and uh, she, she was dying. And I was like, okay, it's not just me. Previous, uh, previous, previous guest, Shanghai Nights. <laughs> Shanghai Nights. Yeah, the the action is amazing. Yeah. The Gordon dynamic is just amazing. Oh. So. Let's let's talk about this opening a little bit, though. So, yeah. in my screening of the film the first time, I went to the Davis Theater here in Chicago, which I usually like, but I felt like they were playing the movie too quietly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did a thing that I'm not used to seeing at, like, my AMCs, which is that they ran the, the rating at the beginning. And it was like, oh. The Batman, PG-13. And I was like, PG-13?! Oh yeah, really? and then no cursing, no boobs. No cursing, no boobs. But like, I don't know the they gotta retool the MPAA because like this is a an upsetting movie in a way that I'd rather my son who doesn't exist see boobs <laughs> than like I don't know see the Riddler like bash the mayor's head in. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. I think the rating system has always been a big scam and it's always been sort of uh political and there's documentaries on it. It's horrible. I yeah, it, it, whenever I see PG-13 too, I get sort of turned off, right? Because it's not going to mm-hmm. give you the what you say, the swearing and the boobs and whatnot, but also it's just it, it, it's limited and it's it's not going to have as much creative freedom. And then it just kind of turns me off, and I, and it sucks because this is a good PG thirteen movie, so it's sort of, I don't know. I think it's, it's incredible that they made something like this and and got the PG thirteen yeah. on it. Not in like a oh my god, how did they do it? It's just like a fantastic use of making something that's scary. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like really scary, yeah, I, but still getting it to be PG. I'm sure some kids I got scared. Think, like, yeah. I'm at a point in my life where, like, I don't look at ratings anymore because I'm an adult. Right. Know? Right. And there are some movies that you watch and you're like, oh, this is crippled by being PG-13. Totally. Right? This movie doesn't feel that way. Like, should it have a fuck in it? Maybe. It has one. <laughs> yeah. But I don't feel like it's missing. Oh, I totally. I get, I'm the person who's only seen it. No, I, 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 made sure to, I made sure to try and catch. Yeah, I was that guy. I was like, do they yeah. say it? Uh, yeah. Does Colin Farrell say? Um, no, it's the it's the chief in the beginning who's like Happy fucking Halloween, pal, and oh, uh, yeah, sure. it's that's it. <laughs> that's it's a good like, one. I guess that's when you got to get your fuck out. Like it's like yeah, emphasize that it's Halloween. Be <laughs> so speaking of the beginning of this movie, what do you guys think of Paul Dano in the Batman? I walked out of the movie, and the first thing I texted my friends was. It's so sad that Paul and Rob don't have more scenes together. But they will. And that's one of the best things (laughs) about the movie is that this movie doesn't kill any of the primary players. The most major character to die is Falco. Yeah, which is fine. No one will miss him. The mob stuff in Batman is not interesting or fun. I like him in this movie a lot. No, I like him in this movie. I just, it's one of those things where like the... Batman Begins is, like, really about the mob in Gotham. Yeah. And I don't fucking care about the mob. <laughs> you mm. know? Like, I want supervillains. Um, Man, so I really disagree with movie, you on this. That's okay. This movie, right off the bat, is like, Moroni is 
in jail or dead. He's not in the picture. And by the end of the movie, they're like, Falcone is not in the picture. So if the mob is happening in Gotham, it's under the purview of the penguin, a super villain. I'm like, yay! Like, I'm thrilled, yeah. you know? I, that's that's the world yeah. I want to be in. I didn't know how to feel about Dano uh, the first time. I And actually, but I always loved the scene with Pattinson between the glass. I And the second time, I just loved it. Um, I love yeah. Dano in general. I miss yeah. him. I wish he was in a movie every he, year. Like, he rocks. He's great. His face has gotten rounder. His mouth has gotten smaller. It's so weird. Yeah. But, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's like a, he's got like a pumpkin head now. It's so great. Yeah. He and looks it, like more like a baby than he did. Yeah. Five years ago. When they catch him, you're like that guy, yeah. that baby boy. <laughs> so I, yeah, for Dano, I have to add to my, like from my unintentional comedy gold list. Um, <laughs> When Skarsgård has the phone and he says something, and then he just starts screaming, "Shut up!" and like, "Oh, oh, yes. him, I, I bust out laughing every time. In fact, when during the scene behind the yeah. glass, when Dano goes like, "We're such a good yeah. team," I like laugh and his melt and his meltdown him. along with that is is his so meltdown is, good. That's what I was gonna so say. Good. His he plays the Riddler so well in that. He realizes, he knows, we the audience don't know, he, Paul Dano, knows that the whole time the Riddler's deal is that he's obsessed with Batman. And so we learn that, and then 45 seconds later, Batman's like, I hate you, (laughs) of course. And Dano, who has known this for his whole performance, gets it, and he just fucking loses his shit. That's my favorite, maybe, part of the movie. So, ah, is, so I have a question. Is that sort of is that sort of the basis of their relationship in general? Because Batman Forever, Edward Nigma is obsessed with Bruce Wayne, and he's like, oh my god, I have so many things to show you, all this, and he's, and what does Val Kilmer's Bruce Wayne hit him with? He's like, too many questions, and he just walks away. Well, it's like backwards. Yeah, exa- in yeah. Forever, um, Nigma loves Bruce Wayne. Yes. And I think right. maybe he hates Batman because Batman's like, they're like hero villain. I, I, Hannah, you'd have to let me know. But it, it felt switched to me in this. Oh, where it was like, Riddler loves he Batman. Loves, he loves Batman. Batman. Yeah. He hates like, that Bruce Wayne. Wayne. fucking sucks. Hilarious. I think and that's then, awesome. Okay, here's the question for you guys. At the end, he has definitely figured out that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Yes. We are, no. Do we no no. We didn't. We don't. That's that? so interesting. This is a this is a question. I when you have. say the end, what part do you mean? The so there's the scene where Batman is looking at the wall of stuff about himself that says like Batman, Bruce Wayne, line between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, then he goes to talk to the Riddler at Arkham, mm-hmm. and the Riddler's like that Bruce Wayne, huh? Wink. What about no. that? You know, and then no. there's a moment in that scene where it turns and you watch Batman go like, oh, no, he doesn't know. He doesn't get it. Right. And I'm not sure, I guess, because I think you can read it either way. I, I, so I did read it either way. My friend thinks he knows. I was like, I'm not so sure because how could you, how could you continue on? There was something in my second there, viewing. There's that line where he says like, too bad we didn't get him, which is like the thing, like you and me, Batman, we're in it together. We didn't catch that Bruce Wayne guy. Where I was like, oh, maybe not, but maybe this is part of the game, too. That Andrew was like, no, no, you're wrong, you're stupid. So <laughs> the thing is, you you can't square that wrong opinion with um, 
the fact that he sends the bomb. It just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, I, you're right. I, no, I mean, yeah, because if There's... if he knows Bruce Wayne is Batman, why does he try to bomb Bruce Wayne? I I, I, I just want to stick up point, for that scene. Con- maybe he doesn't like. The Riddler's smart and he's figuring things out on the fly. And the more he is piecing together Wayne family stuff and doing like, let's look into this. I okay, I didn't kill Bruce Wayne. What else do I need to do? Um, maybe he figures it out somewhere in there. I don't know. I don't care either way. I just always like it when the Riddler is the guy who figures out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Like across media, that's a thing that I like that happens in Batman stories. So when I thought it was happening here, I was like, oh, fun, cool, neat. Hannah, what you're saying takes away one of my favorite things about the movie, if it's true, <laughs> which is which is why I maybe don't like it. Uh, the scene where they're in the jail together or they're talking through the glass and it's revealed that Riddler is actually saying, not you are Bruce Wayne, but rather, hey, Batman, wouldn't it have been great if we had gotten Bruce Wayne? Mm-hmm. Is amusing to me for the same reason that the end of our podcast episodes are amusing. <laughs> Taking a really long, arduous walk to just then be like, would you recommend this book? Is the same feeling. It, like, yeah. it totally made me laugh as him being like, doing an overwrought monologue to just be like, that guy's a stinker, right? This, I mean, this is... I like that read too. Like, I don't think either version is disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the way that scene builds up, ren- ratchets your tension of, oh no, he's figured it out. He knows, he knows. And you're like, wait, no, does he? Like, I like that sort of like release valve moment. No matter what it means. Right. I mean, it's an undeniably hypnotically tense scene. Um, the last thing I'll say about it because uh, I've, I've like until cut we Max get back to it when we a million uh, no, times no, here. Maybe. Don't but worry. The last thing, the last thing I'll say about it is that I, I think it's impossible to watch a superhero movie without like comparing it to Marvel. And I'm sorry that I'm about to do it, but like, there's a couple moments in this movie that just demonstrate a literacy on the part of the director that is like not present in any other superhero movies. And one of them, even though there's a low bar to clear, one of them is just when Dano is moaning Bruce Wayne having that shot of the camera in the cell, being like, conveying like Batman is worried that Riddler is exposing his identity to many people in this moment. And that and the the scene at the end where uh, Batman and Catwoman are driving apart and instead of cutting back and forth, we only see her in his side mirror like signifying that like she is exiting a Batman story. Those were like the two moments where I was like, this is a superhero movie made by a guy who can like make good movies. It's just nice to see a superhero movie that like, I think this was one of your letterbox reviews, Andrew, but like that makes choices. Yes. It like has choices. It has story choices. It's taking risks. Mm -hmm. It's doing things that some people aren't going to like and other, it's not lowest common denominator in anything. It has a clear vision and some clear concepts, and it's going to do them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I like that a lot. Okay, so it. let me just do my whole Marvel rant right now, and I'll get it out of the way. So Do it so fast, because we'll get it's in gonna, trouble. It's going to be so fast. The thing about Marvel is that they try to sell their movies as you think you know a Marvel movie. You think you've seen a million, but actually this one is in X genre. So they do it with like... Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where they're like, this one's a 70s era spy thriller, 
I think they thought that because it just had Redford in it. It's like you watch it and you're like, yeah, there's okay, a it's mystery. All the president's men. It's not though. Right. And it, you're like, there is a mystery here and there's guns, but like, it still feels like just a mystery within the normal Marvel universe. And I'm calling it now. They have not started marketing for Thor Love and Thunder, but they will 100% say this is a romantic comedy that exists within the Marvel universe. That is what it will be. The only other thing it could possibly be is that they try to sell it as like a straight up before sunrise romance, but I'm pretty sure they'll go it's a romantic comedy. And then people will be saying that all the time. This one's actually supposed to be more of a romantic comedy, but it won't feel like that because it'll just, it'll just feel, feel like, like a Marvel movie. people making little jokes in a Marvel movie, which they already do. The thing that's amazing about the Batman is that it is not some superhero movie about an emo guy who has a bunch of emotional problems. It is a superhero movie that feels like it was made by an emo guy who has emotional problems. <laughs> the entire universe is like this nightmare universe that feels like it has an emo god, mm -hmm. which I love. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. That's yeah. it. That's the right. I also like that this movie is not saying we're doing a 70s grit thriller. They're like, these are inspirations that we're using on our modern day platform. Yeah. Like, they're not posing, really. They're just, like, using influences that are very clear and very explicit. I think I um, think the only 70s draw you can really get from it is the cinematography. And it only only because it looks like it's shot by, like, Gordon Willis, who, like, did... Uh, who I keep thinking of this movie he did, because I watched it in school. I'm not, like, some movie buff or by any means uh or i kind of whatever but the parrot <laughs> i kind of am he was about am. to back right, I kind of am. uh no no but uh i actually really but know there's movies. this movie he, he shot uh called the the parallax views uh with warren Beatty, and it's weird there's this the end sorry to spoil the parallax view folks but um uh there's the end uh warren Beatty is essentially set up um as like you know this uh patsy assassin kind of kind of like like as if he was oswald or something if you know who we're not going to go down jfk road but you know basically the ending is him looking at a sniper by his feet and like a politician has just been shot and everybody's looking up at him and everybody's you know oh he did it whatever he gets uh -huh. framed the ending is ambiguous i think he dies but it's weird because it oddly reminded me of the Riddler scene when all those guys were getting their snipers ready to kill the mayor. And um, it's just it, the lighting is very similar as well. I cannot stress like I, I felt like the beginning scene when the mayor um, gets killed is off. It's it's lit kind of like the godfather in the beginning i mean is that a yeah. total stretch is no max there's so many i i totally believe there's so many references to other movies sure i i understand i'm coming off as like a reeves head i'm truly a guy <laughs> who was just like who is just like those monkey movies are pretty good and then i saw the Batman, <laughs> that david swimmer like, movie you did was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> Here's the unfortunate thing is if I'm going to go full Reeves and pretend I was always into him, I have to go back and re-embrace Cloverfield, which I don't remember enjoying that much. Right. Um, oh, is that him? He directed Cloverfield. Yeah, that was weird. So, I didn't know what? that. That's crazy. I really thought that was... J.J. Abrams. This is going to sound like really, really stupid. But yes, I really thought that was a J.J. Yeah. Abrams it's, direct. It's an film. Abrams joint in some capacity. Okay. Um, yeah. They really did also have the, dirty on that one by not putting his name on it, <laughs> if I may say so. <laughs> The other, no Reeves, um, the other Reeves, the other Reeves thing that that 
is just sort of an oddity is he did the he did let me in the the remake of let the right oh, one yeah. in the vampire movie That's um, a good movie. which i haven't seen i've only seen the original but people say the remake's good too so anyway there are a ton of movie references in the batman like at the beginning when they're doing establishing shots of the city there's just a supermarket called Good Times, and Reeves has said that he wanted to work with Pattinson because of his performance in Good Time. And then the other one is that I noticed is when Riddler is in the jail at the end and he's watching the explosions from his window, that's an homage to Paul Dano watching the oil rig burn from his house in There Will Be Blood. There's like that shot of him standing in his window full of dread. So, yeah, Reeves is, like, definitely intentionally sending things Sure, up. okay, okay. Well, he does a good job. His movie's very smooth. None of it feels like wink-wink. Right. Which speaks to his, you know, skill. Um, and also, like, I got out of that movie, and I was, like, I went to see it with my mother <laughs> here in Santa Fe, and I got out, and I was, like, I think the, like, Zodiac killer Riddler thing is pretty fun. And she was, like, what is that? <laughs> um, like, which was <laughs> fun. Um but then to be like, okay, well, this movie totally worked for her. She loved it. And the references and the homages and the sandboxes he's playing in, she didn't get like half of them. And the movie still totally worked for yeah. her. And that's a that's a huge success in my book. That's a it's big a, win. The, it's a three-hour movie. The, <laughs> yeah. the references amount to like 0.01% of it. I mean, when your references also, are the name of a supermarket, you're, you're bro, not doing it It's a three-hour movie, and I was not bored at all. It moves so yeah. well, I think. Like, I, it did not feel like three hours to me. I know it does to many people. And I understand the places that could be tightened up. But I was, like, vibing so hard. I was just happy it, to be It's there. a real ride. That's, uh, honestly. The, um, and I, I just feel like, Andrew, you were talking to me about this. This is probably the Batman where we see the most Batman, oddly enough, right? Like, and it's so odd because I want more Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I love this Bruce Wayne. I, I love, love emo Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. I I love, I, I love this detached. Love I have him. I have a a Bruce Wayne rant, but I you're you you're gonna go. Yeah, you. Here's the. It's just a genius idea on whatever the right. screenwriter's part. Whoever wrote this fucking right. movie, which is that if Bruce Wayne was this damaged guy who felt like he needed to use an alter ego to meet out some sort of justice that he could not have in his own life. That is the type of person who would become consumed by such a thing. And it really highlights for me that every Bruce Wayne that we've had in the past, and, and just for the record, I've never seen an Affleck one. That sounds not appealing to me. He's really good, but the movies... If he had his own Batman movie, I think it would be good. This, just, this movie just made it really apparent to me that the previous iterations of Bruce Wayne, where he's like a crime fighter by night and then by earlier in the night, because it's not day, he's like a playboy. And that doesn't seem to make a ton of sense with like, that duality doesn't seem to make a ton of sense with like the, what am I trying to say? The mental struggles that he's right, going through. Right, right, right. And, and yeah. I really enjoy the un- James Bonding of Bruce Wayne that happens in this movie. That's a great way well, to put the it. The arc he goes through in this movie is not an arc that we've ever had for Bruce Wayne in a movie before. He's like, it's, you know, like the Keaton thing is really like by the end of two movies, you're like, oh yeah, the real person is Batman. That's the reveal. Yes, yes. This movie does all of the emotional reveals of the first four Batman movies. <laughs> you know, like it has like 
Alfred, you're not my dad. You are my dad. <laughs> oh my! In one movie, I want to say Alfred's treated like shit. Batman's the real me. <laughs> yeah, poor Alfred. We'll yeah, yeah. I got any I circus say. crushing it. Um, but like, it covers all these beats that usually take four or five movies. And I'm like, no, the arc of this guy is that he is Batman, and he realizes at the end he has to be Bruce Wayne too, and that is yes. different, and that is really satisfying. For him to be like punching people is not the solution. The city needs more than just yes. punching. Yeah. Like I have to be able to help people. I can't just beat yeah. people up. I can't just stop bad. I have to create good. Like that is so good and different and refreshing and heroic. It's so nice to see a hero who wants to help people and say And more them. like a detective. Like, oh my god. More like a who's yeah, who's questioning and, and he yeah, he's using his mind and he's not just beating up henchmen and being like, tell me everything. Like every like all the internet is clowning up. My favorite up. scenes of this movie are him like look standing around in a room being like hmm interesting Ex <laughs> like very just, quietly while cops are like what are you looking at yeah that? what's going on <laughs> like those are my favorite scenes in the movie it's so a brilliant idea to, to milk comedy out of <laughs> brute or out of batman standing next to police yes <laughs> it's inherently funny and the movie doesn't go this is just the way it is he works with yeah. the police. The movie's like they are standing next to a Batman. Yes. I love, I love the part where he's catching. Th I, I think this is what they're trying to say is he's catching things before you know the the photographer like mm -hmm. like he's looking at the blood and he that. walks away and she like looks she gives him this dirty look like yeah I, I was getting to that and like takes a picture <laughs> of it but that. it's like he's a step of, ahead of everybody and. That is such a great way to show Batman just an intellect and like a, a detective, not not this, you know, brute that like just goes through walls and it's just like, give me, I'm, uh, yeah. He's so soft spoken, like he is very quiet. He's very yeah. gentle. He's not like like I love so much in those scenes where he's standing around. He'll then be like, okay, now I'm gonna go whisper to my friend Jim Gordon, who will announce my stuff to the rest of the room. If necessary. Well, yeah, like. He's so. Is he the best Batman? He's a sweet, delicate baby Cause, boy. Cause I love him deeply. How odd is it like, that Dark Knight is one of the best Batman movies, but I hate Christian Bale's Batman so much? I think it's just so. I mean, as I think, I think it's been it's, discussed a hundred times, the Dark Knight is not really a Batman it, it, movie. It's a Joker yeah. movie. Yes. Right? It's a villain yes. movie. This is the problem with many Batman movies: that they're not really about Batman; they're about yeah. the villains. This movie's about Batman. Yeah, right. And I'm, I love it. <laughs> Something people always compare the Dark Knight to Heat, and it's like Heat is a movie where two characters are like equally developed to face off with one another, and that's why that comparison has always fallen flat. I'm like, the Dark Knight is like a movie where Joker gets all of this amazing screen yeah. time, and then Bruce Wayne just gets screen time being like, I'm just like a rich guy. Like, it's like, it's not an incredible it's, Bruce Wayne movie I, at I, all. Well, I do like. It's funny. I hate Bale's Batman. I I like Bale's Wayne. There's a weird. I feel like there's a difference between the two characters there. And I like <laughs> Hannah's you know signaling. Yeah, I do like you know him. And while you're saying like I I don't, I think that Pattinson's Batman, you know, this detached from politics and and the city and just being this total recluse and less James Bond as you say, but I. 
I kind of do like Bale as, you know, you know, smoozing with Harvey Dent and being like the Batman <laughs> who takes him seriously. I mean, there's nothing uh, I like more than scenes where Bruce Wayne has to be like, I'm yeah, an idiot. It, <laughs> I don't know. Batman. Exactly. That I, I like, find that, that just as entertaining. Person is very fun. Yeah. yeah. I, but I look forward to Pattinson doing that yeah. someday. <laughs> right. Because the, the movie does suggest that we're going to get more Bruce Wayne in the sequel, I, I was saying this to Max also, which is like the fact that the Riddler is incarcerated at the end of the movie really makes it tough to write a future movie that has the same tone because the Riddler is what makes this movie a detective story. And so in the Mr. Clues, yeah, sure. So in the next one, he's going to be more Bruce Wayne. And he's going to not have a Riddler leaving him clues. And it's like, I'm sure Matt Reeves can do it because I've decided that I always was a fan of his. <laughs> um, but it, I'm, it's unclear how you do that. I think the difficulty is always going to be what villains you pick. Because Batman mm -hmm. has a wide variety of villains to choose from, some of which are guys you have to punch, some of which are guys you have to outsmart. And if Matt Reeves is clever about the villains he picks, and if he uses them well and writes it well, he can do it. He can create more detective opportunities. Like, I couldn't do it. I can barely name 10 Batman villains, yeah. you know? But he's a guy with a research team. I'm sure he can figure it out. And I can't wait to be like, oh, this is not a villain I know very well. Like, the last thing, I mean, to get into, like, the big spoiler of the movie? Yeah, I think very who Kyogen hasn't heard all? about this? Yeah, and, and, and let's settle this. listed in the closing title. That was... When he's in, like, that, a scene, it's fucking... And you can't see his face. It's like, I couldn't believe it. I looked it up afterwards. I was like, did he, like, do the voice of the Riddler? Why was he so <laughs> high billed? Like, what the... Yeah, as unnamed prisoner, like, we get it. You're setting up the Joker. It's the last thing I want in a yeah. movie is for the next villain to be, like, the major villain of the I want a Mr. Joker. Freeze. Yeah. I would love that. I mean, I we can have it all. Right. But one one additional point on this Joker situation is like because I think the world Reeves has built is like pretty expansive, it feels like you can like this movie has four major Batman villains in it. You know, and it doesn't feel like weirdly overburdened. I think you can have a movie where the Joker is one of four villains and he pops in and out doing crimes and then scampers off to do another crime another day, or they catch him or whatever. And it won't feel as like heavy as the only villain in this movie is the Joker has been in other movies. Like, I think it can be done. I'm nervous about it. Andrew, to you. Are you ready for my conspiracy theory? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I believe that that wasn't the Joker at the end and that Reeves is leaning into everyone being like, that's the Joker. Why would you introduce another Joker in order to misdirect? I everyone? could see that. To Sure. I like, what is firmly it believe that is his version of Two Face. Oh, and that's that's just Dent, and we and we're already past and the we're like post acid yeah. burn. Who's to say if his version of Two Face is Harvey Dent? I know that sounds crazy. I'm not saying it's not, right? But I'm like, it, we're obviously working in an alternate Batman reality here, where Harvey Dent could be a guy who's already gone through this. Two-Face could be a different guy. The explanation that Reeves has been giving for the Joker showing up at the end of the movie, because everyone's pissed at him, uh, the Matt Reeves, not the Joker, is that... I'm pretty pissed at the Joker. Yeah, I would be pissed at the Joker for his actions. I, I, I actually find them really, really, um, you know, 
disappointing. But um, <laughs> there apparently, according to Reeves, is a deleted scene from the movie in which Batman visits Joker, who he's already caught in prison to Hannibal Lecter style, get his advice. Well, if I had Barry Kogan on set for four days doing a scene like that, I would give him higher <laughs> billing. Right. And 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 uh, according to Reeves, this is like him absolving himself of the we're doing Joker next thing. He's like, we're not doing Joker next because Batman already caught Joker. He's just like a presence in these movies. That's now, with me. I will be proved wrong, probably. <laughs> My conspiracy well, like theory will be proved wrong, but I believe that that deleted scene will never surface. I watch it pop up like tomorrow. <laughs> I know it's it's. I bet it doesn't surface and. That's Two-Face because I I feel as if I feel crazy like that I'm the only one who's saying this. Well, because that scene is chock full of Joker clues. I'm sorry. The, la- the laugh like, was the laugh was pretty misleading laughter. if it's if it's going to be Two-Face is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. about the fact that Barry's hair in like the very small clip that we see is Tommy Lee Jones it, it, That's <laughs> that's an interesting is. take, but you could also kind of we didn't see the color of it, though. We didn't see the color of it. It could have been green, and it's half like, of his uh, face looks does it? burned. Okay, well, okay. Like, I, I think so. I think that's interesting. Shit, right? I think that it could on. be. I mean, I would be, I would be intrigued by that direction if that, and I would love to see Barry Kogan not do Joker shit. I feel like we get what that would look like from him, right? You know? Um, but it feels pretty yeah. obvious that that's what that. I, I think, like, since I think you could go. How you could make a sequel better is if you dive deeper into what this Bruce Wayne is. Like, Andrew, you've been saying this is a really interesting Bruce Wayne. It's, you know, like I've been reading it's partially based on Kurt Cobain. And through my second viewing, I'm trying to look at all these things. He's keeping a journal. He's, um, you know, there's this beautiful part where, you know, when he sees the twins, he's Batman. He goes, do you know who I am? And he's in their face like that. And then he has to go see him as Bruce Wayne. And he's looking down at the ground and he's... He's like so yeah. not comfortable with himself and he's like, Do you know who I am? And he's so ashamed that he has to use his reputation yeah. to get to Falcone. And it's so awesome. I'm like, that's Cobain. And I feel like if they go down this road, <laughs> because they end it on sort of like I, I have to stop being this symbol of vengeance and be the symbol of hope, right? And he I feel like mm-hmm. if you sort of show him struggling to be this guy who's trying to get out into the limelight, right? He's like, and struggling with it like Cobain did with his, I feel like that could be really interesting. I feel like if you dive more into Bruce Wayne in general, the sequel is going to be more interesting because Pattinson can do it. Agree. They need to find a way to juggle. He's a symbol for hope. He's doing uh, charitable things through the Wayne Foundation, but he's still massively haunted right because the past iterations we've seen i'm even throwing keaton in here i feel like when past batmans are doing their bruce wayne performance they really lose the pathos of the i'm a tragic figure who's haunted thing yeah well this is the illusion of bruce wayne once he's in it and this is the difference between like pattinson who's two years into being batman and keaton who's probably like six years into being batman at least right Mm-hmm. And then it goes up from there. Like he's not new, right? Yeah, he feels very well established. He, he's a, he's at least Batman. been out there <laughs> like a yeah, few like, years. Like Pattinson's still figuring out his like Batman alchemy, sort of. Like you know, it takes him a minute. His like Bruce Wayne Batman balance. Keaton gets the balance, 
And once you get the balance, then the performance of Bruce Wayne becomes like, you can crush the pathos. And there are moments of Keaton, Bruce Wayne being like, I don't know who I am. Right. You know, I'm, what am I doing? What is this person? You know, like that stuff's there. It's not quite as emotionally rich because those Burton movies are in general less emotionally rich in, in presentation, at least, you know, like they aren't diving into it quite the same way this one is. Mm -hmm. I'm here to defend a playboy idiot, Bruce Wayne. Like I like the performance. (laughs) I'm here to, (laughs) I'm here to defend my, my fucking, my fucking moody boyfriend. Uh, we all love our moody boyfriend, okay? <laughs> I'm obsessed with him. I want to smooch his little forehead. The reveal that the, when when the when the Nirvana song is playing at the beginning and he's going around the city and it's just like perfect tone setting, like, oh, this is what this movie is going to be. The reveal that the Nirvana song is diegetic and he's listening to it in the Batcave. Alfred walks in <laughs> and he turns it down. And it's just like... It's just like, it's okay to eat fish. And he's like, oh, sorry, Alfred, what's that? <laughs> that that, yeah. uh, that made me laugh so hard. Like, he yeah. is, he, it's important to have that moment where he turns the music down because he, it's validating if it's non-diegetic. It's like, this is his mood. We're inside his head. But it's important to also realize he's a guy who listens to Nirvana to feel sad. Yeah, I mean, this Bruce Wayne is a guy who is wallowing purposefully in his sadness. He refuses to heal. He refuses to get help. He's looking to kill himself so that he can feel good about himself, basically. He needs to get over that, and he does. (laughs) Good for, mostly, we we can think. Right? Yeah. Man, I just, I I love this this batman in terms of the beginning and and the darkness and him just being like i don't even know if i'm making a difference you just are like that's so cool what it, like <laughs> god damn his like little journal of like i don't know if i'm making a difference yeah. they think i'm in the shadow yeah. i am the shadow and i'm like you're so lit and, no, like, they're, I love t- you, they're teetering so... I, I, no in, in five years that that monologue is going to be made fun of and it's lame but right now it's teetering <laughs> this edge of like you know what it just edges out and gets the cool card right now it I, works yeah so perfectly with this batman like if this yeah. batman was writing journal entries that weren't lame i'd be like i don't buy it right he's a little bit late right right like he's buying into all this stuff that makes him like lame and kind of uppity about his own like yeah. oh is it even worth it to help one person yeah man it is <laughs> the, yeah well with that said with the music and the score i, I haven't heard a better score in a long time i mean the, uh, amazing dude oh God, the, so and the sound in general like when when the score is going and he's spray painting his floor and the spray paint sound is going with the score you're just oh god yeah it's it's, it's like perfect. The, the cowboy Batman theme is unbelievably good. The cat and the bat romance theme is unbelievably good. The minor chord Ave Maria Riddler theme is unbelievably that good. That is so incredible. At it's the amazing. orphanage at the end, ugh. I mean, God. the whole thing. Every time that little theme comes in, it's just... It's also funny that the Riddler picks his own theme music, and then the score picks that up and adopts it for him, which yes. I think is just like cool and fun. And I love it when movies do stuff like that, where the score is in and out of like the reality of the story. It just like it rocks. It's so, as Max was saying, like it's nice to hear like a score with recognizable themes in it. it, it Speaking oh, yeah, of okay. the beginning of the movie, 
I think it's funny, like you said, Hannah, that it begins with him citing logistical concerns. That it's him being like, I'm just a guy, can't be everywhere at once. But he just says it really menacingly. (laughs) Um, And I know that this seems like a tangent, but like people always said the Dark Knight's idea of Gotham is just Chicago, Illinois. But this movie is like, I will just shoot Chicago, Illinois and not sub things out. So in that fight- Also like straight New York City. No, I feel like, yes, there's a Times Square. Like I get that you live in Chicago, but I lived in New York for like 10 years and there's straight New York City. Well, as Okay, so as someone that lived in New York, the thing that is crazy about the Chicago stuff is it (laughs) feels like they're just shooting- like random bits of Chicago that aren't even um, that aren't even like famous areas. Like when he's on the motorbike, he just goes by the Art Institute, and I was like, I wonder if Batman goes to the Art Institute sometimes. Like, <laughs> is is that what the New York stuff felt like? Is it were you like recognizing I mean, like entire Gotham buildings? Is literally Madison Square Garden to a yeah, T. Across yeah. the street, there's the post office to a T. It's almost embarrassing. Like his bat cave is Grand Central Station, period. It's like there's stuff that is almost like embarrassingly New York City. Wait, I feel stupid. I thought that Gotham Square Garden was that place where I renewed my license downtown, where the end of (laughs) the end of running scared happens. Not the Paul Walker one, the other one. Um no, I've that that was that was Madison Square Garden for sure. Did you think it was you thought it was the Thompson Center? Yeah. No, it wasn't the Thompson (laughs) Center. Madison Square Garden. Like it is like there was moments where they shoot like people going into Gotham Square Garden because it's flooding or whatever, and I was like, I have gone through that entrance to go to the Amtrak a hundred times. Yeah, I have stood in that spot. <laughs> like, but so at the beginning I, of I this like film, the vision of Gotham City, but it, there were moments where I was like, you got to disguise this, yes. maybe a little bit more. <laughs> so Hannah, at the beginning of this film, they're fighting on a on a um, platform for the L train, and they didn't change the signs. <laughs> So it just says 85th Street and the loop. And they're like, this way to the brown line. And it's like, that's Chicago stuff. What are you doing? Apparently they filmed large parts of the movies in like Glasgow too. Right. So like. So many cities. I I was like, I I swear when he's biking, I'm like, is that like Paris? I was like, that's like some European road right I mean, the outside of like the mayor's house must be Glasgow. That is a very old European building. Totally. Um, it's, I mean, I love that idea. Blend. I like that it's a lot of different cities. I kind of wish some of it was less recognizable. Though <laughs> yeah. so it is really funny that they're like Madison Square Garden. No, no, Gotham Square Garden. Totally different. They're just like, think, like well, think of Gotham. It's just every awesome city in the world. And then it's just like, <laughs> and the like, crime rate Gotham is through Times the roof. Square. <laughs> yeah. Like Gotham Times Square, which I think is just called Gotham Square in the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's kind of funny. I'm not yeah. mad at it by any means. No, it's like the in Dark Knight when the CTA was the GTA on the on the, it's, <laughs> uh, great. The the only yeah. time I thought that um the Chicago stuff was over the top was when Batman like attacked that guy just because he put ketchup on his hot dog. That was the <laughs> only part that I thought was maybe taking it like a step too far. You guys far. are insane for that one. I didn't think that was too insane. I thought I thought it was. Pretty <laughs> I thought that was just moral. Yeah. I thought like he's a guy who's out there to do the yeah. right thing. Local so. Chicago in here. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> okay, the beginning of the movie when they're fighting on the platform. The best thing about this film, maybe the best thing, 
is Batman getting shot point blank in the chest on multiple occasions. Multiple occasions. It looks incredible. Like him getting like ping, ping, pinged with handguns. I was like, this is cool. This rocks. Like that hallway, he comes out of the elevator in the dark. That, which is apparently practical gun muz- muzzle flash. In- in- lit, unbelievable. It's unbelievably cool. Then at the end, he gets shot with a shotgun at point blank range. You're talking about when he's on top of the Jumbotron? Yeah, that is the like. Madison Square Garden. I literally was like, I guess he's dead. <laughs> like, this this really movie makes me. bullets and like bullet shells feel scary. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was yeah. very scared for him. There's also the moment where he is about to get shot in the face where I was like, Oh, oh, no. oh yeah, that, w- Ooh. that that's not a thing that your fancy cool armor can protect you from. Right. I mean, like clearly getting shot in the chest by a ch- shotgun hurts him very, very badly. It's incredible uh, how it cuts both ways because in on the train platform, mm-hmm. uh, he is getting shot in the chest, and you're like, oh no, he's getting shot in the chest. You can like really feel that that's tough for him. But then. It's also cool in the hallway scene in the darkness that he's seemingly taking just magazines to the chest and f- he's fine. It's like somehow the movie makes both believable and both <laughs> rule. Yeah. And I'm still like concerned for his safety sometimes, which is a nice feeling to have. There, I mean, like the stakes of this movie, the concern I feel for the characters, I don't usually feel those in superhero movies. I just know they're going to be fine, you know? Yes. Yeah. And to be like, well, maybe Bruce Wayne will be like, hospitalized or like when they he gets knocked out and the police take him back to the station Mm -hmm. and i was like oh no this is a dangerous situation for all parties involved (laughs) like both they might unmask him and he is not well he needs help i i think the movie does a really good job of humanizing all of its major characters in like a physical way so batman's the toughest one to crack because he's covered in armor but as we just said they do an incredible job of making it feel like he's still in danger but yeah. they also shoot the bodies of the other major characters in ways that accentuate their fragility so like dano and kravitz the way they shoot both of them is very much like they small like, <laughs> you know when he gets slammed against the against the um diner yeah counter it's like that man is small and he's getting thrashed by the police and then the most punchable face in hollywood with uh i i definitely don't agree with that and then with (laughs) um he's a he's a beautiful baby boy i mean i want to squish him he and um zoe kazan are like a top celebrity couple for me they're so adorable so anyway um the and then the the penguin is like is just like some middle-aged normal looking dude who's in terrible shape and <laughs> normal looking is a stretch but yeah well i mean uh maybe physique wise he's like a guy you if you saw that physique on the streets you'd be like that's a real man whereas like <laughs> most of the time if you saw like pattinson or kravitz on the streets you'd be like an unbelievably beautiful person right, yes. right. <laughs> exactly there are really good scenes where colin farrell under a ton of makeup and padding that was him? Run. What if I learned and that right he now? he is making, like, good, like, <laughs> running is hard and tiring for yes. me, and I don't want to do it choices, um, which are great. And he waddles <laughs> like a penguin, which rocks. I do think that the feral casting and the Jared Leto House of Gucci casting are, like, a sort of... A, yeah, I think they're sort of, like, an offensive move in Hollywood to, like, uh, to push out, you know, people who have normal bodies, which, which oh, bums right. me out. 
I get that I that's mean, more Will of a thing Ferrell for women. One of our I don't most mean to character actors, and his performance is very good. That being said, he's an unbelievable hottie, and hiding his face under so much makeup is a crime. And cast a fat, a fat actor to play. Right, the right. Like just cast a cast Devito again. Tracy Letts. Like, if it was if it was made in the seventies, it would have gone to like you know a George right, C. Scott. Type, right. You know, yeah. those um, kind of actors barely exist in Hollywood anymore. It's a real shame. We all feel that. That being said, Colin Farrell performance good. What can we do? Yeah, Leto, I'm not going to stand by. Uh, <laughs> no, bad performance is bad. Yeah, bad performance and also just like, you know, uh, kind, of, kind of a bit of a hate crime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bad guy, bad performance. Colin Farrell, good guy, good performance. It was a great performance. Kind of that's, crime, that's, that's, yeah. Performance. And, the, and it is, it's like, it's the penguin. It can, it, you know, there's a little, there's a little room for that where you're like, well, it's this comic book character. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I could, th- I could think of some guys, um, who could play who i think could play the penguin some some big some big boys and i i think naturally yeah is there not a handsome batman villain for colin farrell you know like, yeah again like i like him i like his performance he is one of hollywood's hottest men and certainly there's a villain for him where we get to see some of that right. i feel like he has to work so hard through the makeup right. that like it's it's kind of a miracle that it's so good if we're talking penguin, let's talk car chase. Um, yeah. So let's talk about your bullet rating first on Letterbox. No, I'm kidding. Um, speaking of car chases, <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, bullet has a good car chase, but no, yeah. My God, that movie was so no. Boring. But I, it, it's funny because I disagree. But I, okay. I well, I I disagree. I no, disagree I as well, it. Hannah. But uh, but yeah, we'll let him live on the on the pod. Um, no, just no, just kidding. No, I, I get that, but uh, I I couldn't help but feel like that there was some bullet influence in there, right? Or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's just me, but yeah. Speaking of how well the action is shot, though, like, it's at night. Mm-hmm. It's downpouring. Yeah. It's really, like, hard to see what's happening, and yet it is always 100% clear where the Batmobile is really in relation to the Penguin. Like, you never lose track of that car, except for the moments when they want you to, and then, surprise, here it is. That car has such a unique silhouette. Like, it is so well done. I think I was very impressed. I think it's very funny that um, he gets in the Batmobile before penguins in his vehicle as if to be like, (laughs) we do car chase now. (laughs) I know we were doing run and punch, but we do car chase now. And my car, I just (laughs) put a rocket on the back. This thing really vrooms. And I feel like you know what that means. (laughs) Um, There's a level of this movie that is set in the present where everybody's driving like a 2020 Lexus. And um, using cell phones, and then Batman shows up in his like 1978 Mustang, and I was like, "Oh, more of those! That car, cool. That car <laughs> yes. rock." <laughs> you yes. Know? So maybe you guys just realized this in the theater. I, I I was trying to figure out through the whole car chase why this car chase felt different and looked different than other car chases that I have seen. There was like an energy to it that felt exciting, but I couldn't place how it was exciting me compared to like a fast and furious do you guys know what i'm gonna say is it that you spend a lot of time in the perspective of the drivers and at eye level instead of above the race not the perspective of the drivers although i guess you could argue the the side car level perspective sure yeah the the cameras are like mounted to the where the side mirror would be on the car so so much of that chase is 
you seeing the side of the car that is accelerating as if you're like Mission Impossible 5 Ethan Hunt attached to the side of it. And I've never seen that before. I'm sure it's been done before, but like the acceleration, the velocity, all that being conveyed by watching the vehicle you're moving with as opposed to watching vehicles move towards one another or something like that. Or doing like an establishing shot where you have a shot of the road and then the car rooms by or whatever. Instead, it's like, stay with the car, stay with the feeling of, I'm driving a car, it's going too fast, that's scary. That tension is great where you're like, I can't totally see what's ahead of me and I know the driver cannot either. Um, like as a viewer, it like creates good tension. Yeah. I also think it's funny how pointless the car chase ends up being. Yeah, you could have just grabbed him. Yeah. <laughs> you had a car chase. It rocks though. We're not, and like they blow up an oil tanker or some shit. It yeah. just looks cool. I think I think <laughs> one of the cool things they've done and I I I another car chase that I feel like they kinda took from the to live and die in LA when he's going in reverse yes. and oh, the traffic yeah. is coming at you. And I don't know how many movies they've done that, and I'm sure they've done it more than To Live and Die in L.A., of course, but... That's a real uh-huh. thing. But that's one, the... Yeah, I feel like that's that. the one. And, man, I felt like they took that and just cranked it up another volume because it's 2022 and you can do that. And, you know, the main takeaway I get from that car chase is the sound, man. Like, when he gets out of the... Um, the you know, the traffic coming at him. He's running over those barrels and it's like, and then at the same time, you're hearing Pattinson get his Batmobile in gear and it's like you're hearing all those sounds from the fucking Batmobile. And then you're hearing at the same time Penguin going, this psycho, he's crazy. And it's just a clash of a lot of great sound. And what yeah. and with yeah. what you said, the and not cinematography a lot of music until the end, right? No, I, I mean, think yeah, I think it's that right. Like to live and die in L.A. has no music in that yeah. chase, and I think the chase in Bullet also has pretty much no music. You're mm-hmm. just hearing like yep, 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 and that just like puts you in the place in a different way. It doesn't allow you to be like I'm watching a movie. You're like experiencing the fear of being yeah. in a scary car situation. Yeah. And then the car flips over, you get that awesome trailer shot, the music kicks in, and you're just like, I'm at the movie! Yeah. Well, the <laughs> best is when he's looking down, when he, it's like, I swear, like, oh, yeah. like, oh, my tw- God. like memes are gonna be made of this, like, like me looking under the bed, like something for the boogeyman or something, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, it's just, that is such a, just an, like, such an honest, just whatever shot it's just him looking down to see it but it creates so much comedy but so much energy and and fun and you're like penguin is getting fucking busted i i love this and that i think and that they just drag him out of the car tie him up ask him a couple questions and leave and, him alone and, and he yes. helps them a lot yes yeah yes <laughs> he's like he's like yeah i i totally know what you need okay goodbye like yeah. it's just like and this is and then they don't arrest him they just let him go back to I do his job. I love that. Which is, there's, they should arrest him. He just shot at a ton of cops. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm glad they don't. But like, I look forward to in future movies, they're like, oh, we got to go consult with the penguin because he's our criminal mm-hmm. connection guy. Right. And every time you go to the Iceberg Lounge, it's a little bit icier. It has a few more penguins in well, it. <laughs> you know? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to move on quite yet because the thing that shocked me the most in the car chase was definitely the moment when one of those fucking cement tubes falls off of a truck and the Batmobile hits it straight on 
like in the moment that the, you know what I'm talking about those like those like it's, it's it looks like like a cement pipe there's a million of them out on my on my block right now because there's some sort of like you know sewer thing going on I don't know what they do that made me realize I don't know what they do but um <laughs> you don't know your pipes man sewer pipes, no but man. they're not pipes they're like they're like giant cement circles like tubes. I think they go around other types of pipes to to solidify them a little more Classic. The pressures of the road sounds like a good call he just hits it straight on and it just evaporates <laughs> which in the moment that it's bouncing in front of him i was like oh it's gonna be a shot where it bounces over him but no he just takes it out like it's nothing what a cool car yeah what I a cool movie um <laughs> yeah, yeah, i mean Jesus. it's fun that like for half the movie he's a guy who rides a motorcycle it's a normal motorcycle yeah Sometimes he puts on a hoodie over his bat suit and pretends not to be batman and then he just like rips out this dope ass car and drives it for the rest yeah. of the movie it, it, yeah. the practicality of the car and the gadgets and like even like catwoman just putting the little ski mask over her nose <laughs> like pretty cute, pretty cute. that's it uh, I, the I, number of like yeah. grappling guns in this movie yeah I love him. It, it, it's it's like a more organic kind of Batman, like in terms of like how how he gets all these inventions done. You think they could actually exist, and you could buy them on Amazon one day. They feel very much like based in his experience. Like yes. he has decided, I need a grappling gun. He's invented a grappling gun. Yeah. I need a car. He builds himself a good car. Yeah. Like if in the future he needs like bat fish repellent, he'll create yeah. that, and I'll be glad. Is the taser new? The like the the thing we put on the guy's neck—that was pretty cool. I feel like I—I I feel like that is in one of the Dark Knight movies. Okay, but it's cool as hell. And it I is, like no, it, it is. It's... That was an upsetting visual. It made me go like, "Does this Batman murder people?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the best jokes in the movie, I think, is when he and Gordon are going yes. into somewhere, and Gordon yes. pulls out a gun, and Batman's like, "No yes. gun." And Gordon goes, "That's your thing, man. I'm gonna use a gun." <laughs> Jeffrey Wright's interpretation of Gordon as a guy who calls Batman man. I mean, yeah, it, just, it, it happens so much, and it's perfect. I was into the movie, like, from moment one, like, very into it. And the moment Gordon's like, hey, man, what's up? I was yeah. like, fuck, yes, I love this. <laughs> Adding on to that, this is a perfect time to say that, to, to get into that, like, later in that scene when they're going with the flashlights, and they're like, who's that? And they go, and it's just like the, it's like the druggie den, and Batman just is staring at him. He goes, drop heads, and just walks <laughs> yeah, like, away. I the specific Gotham drug that is drops. I'm just saying, there's a new insult on the street that's going to be happening these days. It's like, <laughs> that guy's a drophead. I, I would never associate with him. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay, I'm going to knock the movie in one way. Which is, I love the aesthetic of Batman as detective. But the mystery ends up being a little underwhelming. Is it because we know the whole time that it's the Riddler? <laughs> No, or no, not that mystery. The mystery of who the rat is. Falcone. Oh. Because sure. the payoff that it's Falcone is like, oh, okay, that's like a giant scumbag. Sure. sure. Also, the first time I watched it, and this is just classic me, I always have trouble following the plots of movies because I'm pea-brained, but the first time I watched it, I was like, they Riddler's a cab, like he like hates cops, and he's mad about a rat, but aren't rats good if he hates cops because they're ratting on the... Co like, I, I couldn't quite put that... You have to... It, it, the movie really quickly glosses over. There's a criminal element, and somebody in the criminal element ratted out the criminals to do more criminal shit, which is a pretty complicated concept. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think he, the Riddler, is just disgusted with the overall corruption. And it's to the point where, like, Bruce Wayne gets thrown into that because it's like, he's rich, he's famous. And it's like, it reminds me of, like, you know, when, like, it's like they would find a list and it's like, look, Bruce Wayne is on this Epstein list of flying. We got him. We got. And it's like he could be <laughs> one of those guys maybe thrown into this, like, conspiracy theory of, like, rich and powerful men that do crazy things. And I feel like Riddler was definitely trying to propagate that. I, I Oh, sure. I just, I, I just feel like the, the person who ends up being the rat should be a more satisfying payoff. Oh, oh I, I agree. Who would be more satisfying for you? I, mean, I, I don't think they you. set up anybody who could okay. be more satisfying. The moment they were like, maybe it's the penguin. I was like, well, it's definitely not the penguin. So it must be his boss. Like that, I, I came to the conclusion before the Batman did, which I don't think is what you want. <laughs> okay, Hannah, I know I talk about the same two movies over and over again, but... I texted this to Max. I have this new theory after watching the Batman that you don't mess with the Zohan (laughs) caused Adam Sandler to be like, my uncut gems character will just be John Turturro. (laughs) Because Falcone (laughs) is like 90%. He just feels exactly like Howard Ratner from Uncut Gems. He w- sure. In the way that he just, like, every single mannerism, in the way he just, like, You're very... more familiar with Uncut Gems than many of us, but... Sure, Max, you've seen sure. it yeah. twice or three times. I've seen it twice, yeah. The, the, the way that he just very nervously and quietly says heavy things like they're nothing. Like... Sure. Yeah. I mean, the moment Totoro showed up, I went, Yes! It's like, I'm glad he's in the movie. Oh, Turturro's amazing. I, I, I'm i more wondering if it was like a direct lift from yeah. Turturro. I, I just kind of want to, like, because I said something to you in the in those texts. I, I feel like they grew up with each other because, like, they're sure. two, two New Yorkers, came up in the same time. you know, And they were also, like, Turturro does a lot of that quiet, like, uh, you think you're better than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. anger management. And, and oh, it's, okay. I just can't help but like think like, you know, it's like two musicians hanging around each other, like John Lennon and Paul McCartney or something hanging around each other for so long that like they have a similar kind of way about them or something. Yes, I don't know. Yes. It's like two New York actors coming up in the same time. They are friends. I mean, they've like he's put them in his movies a few times, right? I and. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't help but think, like, there was a, it's not even just Adam Sandler and John Turturro. It's, like, other guys that might have not even made it, right? Like, just in that New York scene that, like, yeah. maybe had this similar sense of humor and this similar style of this, like, I'm going to talk really quietly and do this, like, thing, but I'm really yeah. uh, an explosive bomb waiting to explode. I don't know. That's my theory, uh, but... You're I, probably right yeah, that they have I, a much deeper history than Zohan. I, 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 no, I just, no, I do love the idea of them being like, "Dude, I'm gonna do the, I'm gonna do the Howard thing." Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do it for Doctor. It's like, it's like, it's can just, I borrow it's this character like for a movie? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like we planned. But yeah, I think Turturro's amazing in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah he's the, really good. He's there's not, good. there's not really a bad actor in this, is there? I mean, is there a? Dud? I can't. No, I don't think there's a bad performance in the lot. There's ones I'm sort of less thrilled about. Like I think the Brando guy was pretty bad. <laughs> I don't. I, I. I. mean, I. I understand, but I. I think. I love. He's it, so. so. Com- he's. He's just such great unintentional comedic gold. <laughs> I just can't. I can't say he was bad. He. The, or like that. Uh, that he's that so other enjoyable. Cop, that nice. 
that nice young cop. Love like, hey, him. Batman, love who him. I love. I like maybe is in a different movie, yeah. but like I love him more than life itself, and I want him to be in every Batman movie. I like Martinez's mini arc that we barely get any of, which Where is he's like, I don't trust Batman. I trust Batman. Exactly. Yeah. You're gonna yeah. let him in here? Whoa! And then at the end of the movie, you can come in. My dad's a carpenter. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the number of times this movie, someone someone says something to Batman, like, oh, we all understand this lower middle class experience, right? And Batman's like, yeah, I do. (laughs) Including at the end when Martinez is like, yeah, it's like a carpet thing. We've all seen one of those. And he's like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know how to use this tool. (laughs) Even when he says the carpet, the carpenter thing, Batman still doesn't get it. Martinez has to be like, it's a tucker. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what do you call it? Like a sucker yeah um, Batman's really looking good. at it that being like what would I do to a carpet with this <laughs> and I like that Martinez has the same response to Batman as he has to Bruce Wayne which is like friendly like not super trusting of Batman but then is like okay come in we'll talk to you you're part of the team I'm a little nervy because you're a Batman but then at the funeral he's like hey man hey Mr. Wayne he <laughs> fanned out on Mr. Wayne I felt so like cute. he was like it's Bruce Wayne he's like you popped out <laughs> for this event. <laughs> no, I loved Martinez. I and and what's so funny is like as such like a character, he seems like he's just like written in. It's whatever. Martinez is a character in all of the Batman series. He's always like the guy on the side with um who uh, Gordon. It's like oh. I think Martinez is the rat in the Dark Knight. Actually, I think there's a scene where he's like, "It was Martinez" or whatever. And, <laughs> And Martinez is played oh by God. a woman, though. Um, yeah. She, or maybe this is just a coincidence, and I'm trying to be like, no, it's been a character. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's enough characters in Batman that you could be like, that's always been a guy. And I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. I believe you. Yeah, yeah also enough, enough characters that you would just have accidental name overlap. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> how do we how do we feel about can we talk about Alfred a little bit because oh I, great yeah yes, I, I just think he was treated like shit <laughs> so, yes, so, so he gets like the shit. you're not my father two minutes in right and then he gets blown up and then when he wakes up from his coma all, the first thing he hears is you lied to me. <laughs> like, hey, not glad you hold hands. <laughs> glad they you're come awake. To a good place. <laughs> they do we never see him again. <laughs> he's he's out after that. Like there yeah. there should be one more scene back at Wayne Tower or whatever. Yeah. Alfred's like in a cast in a sling, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not helping with this right now, but I'm okay." Yeah. And he's just not in the movie after they reconcile yeah. at all. I I kind of wish he had died. I mean, uh, not that I don't love. Andrew? circus but Andrew? <laughs> no there there's a there's a part of me that understands that i think the, you w- the daringness of killing him like <laughs> impressed me right like the i didn't expect that to happen and so when i thought he had actually died i was like wow you know bold choice i yeah. get to see andy circus's real face so rarely that you cannot take this away from me <laughs> I need him in future movies being like, would you like to eat blueberries for breakfast? Will you please put on a shirt? Like, I need this from him, okay? So yeah, we, let's all be glad that he didn't die. Yeah, I, I mean, do we have an Alfred ranking in our system that we could just pull <laughs> out of the... out of Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think the guy through the Burton and Schumacher movies is my favorite Alfred. I, I That's just the my best. Alfred. And then I think yeah. the cartoon one is my second Alfred. I, I have to... Back- Yes. Michael Caine's awesome, but I just, uh, you know, that, I 
Those Jeremy are my two. Irons. I don't yeah. feel well versed enough in this to to really. You can't really rank the Alfreds. Not. I mean, I. Heart. You can do it. I guess. <laughs> I guess I go. I mean, I feel like the only ones I'm even familiar with are like Kane, the Keaton one, and and Circus. I, I Circus. you know, and I guess I would rank them as Kane, the Keaton one, and then Circus. I mean, I mean, I like Andy Circus as an actor and a man, so I'm. I think he's hot, so I like him <laughs> a lot, and I'm happy he's Alfred. I don't think we see enough of him to get a great sense of how that character is going to play into this larger battle. So he's world. like a so he's like a hot old guy, huh? So he's got like the he's like fifty. Yeah. Oh, he and is. Yes, he's hot. He's only fifty. I don't think he's that old. I don't think. I'll look oh, it up. I, I don't think he's. That uh, old. No, I mean, I I thought he was just like a really healthy looking like later sixties guy. I don't. I, I mean, hey, if he's, he's fifty seven. Okay. Okay. Well, so he's not that old. He's just I rugged. He's rugged face. looking. He's not. He's not like ancient looking by any means. I just thought like he, I mean, he's one of those older guys who's like, damn, this guy takes care of himself. Part of the deal with Alfred is that he's kind of like used to be kick ass. Is that true? These yeah. Days? Yeah. That's like part of the thing. And I feel I feel like Andy Circus like carries that really well. That he's like built like a guy who's a fighter. Yes. Who talks about like I taught you how to fight. That's, That's true. the only thing I knew how to teach you. Yeah. And he has this sort of like, you know, lower classy sort of like cockneyish British accent. That's like he's a brawler. Like he could have been a and hooler you get again. That sense from him. Yeah, I get yeah. that for sure. And and it's so funny like. that Keaton and and uh, Schumacher and Burton Alfred seems like he's never. Busted a fruit in a grape or grape in a food fight. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he, yeah. he just looks like a pacifist, totally. So, like, I also like that they're like Alfred taught Bruce how to fight. Kind of explains why Bruce's fighting style is I'm gonna plow through guys, <laughs> even though Robert Pattinson, like in his armor, he's like a big guy, but he takes yeah. his armor off and he's not like insanely bulky or ripped. No, it, like he's kind of skinny, yeah. and a lot of the muscle musculature musculature on the bat suit is fake, like it's sculpting. Uh, and I like the way those two things interact. That he's plowing through guys, and then is like, I'm in pain. This does not work with my body type. But that's all he knows how to do. It's good character building through like visual. When in the movie was it established that Alfred trained him? In the hospital. Okay. They talk about like you needed a father. I couldn't be a father to you. I could teach you how to mm-hmm. fight, and that's what I did. <laughs> I also think every time they like go to somebody <laughs> in the hospital and their head is bandaged up, it's silly and they just shouldn't. Do yeah, it. <laughs> I agree. It always I looks agree. stupid. Just like let someone have hair. <laughs> it just looks silly. That's a side thought. You know who we haven't talked about at all. Yeah, I was just about to say. Zoe? We should probably talk about, about yeah, Catwoman. Yeah, the Catwoman. She's great. I, I mean, like, what can we say? I mean, like, she has the total package of being Catwoman in terms of, like, she looks great. She has the physicality. She has, like, a great voice. I, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is a great Catwoman. Anne Hathaway was an awesome Catwoman. Zoe Kravitz just does it. I mean, I, I, like, I don't want to... As I can rank the Alfreds, I don't want to rank the Catwomans because they all brought something so special to these movies. And man, I I just appreciate what Zoe Kravitz did for this role. I am looking forward to more stuff with her. I think, like with where movies are going in this fun direction, it seems she is a perfect actor to just launch into this like era of where it's going. In my opinion. And I'll just leave it at that. You guys, I have yeah. I have trouble connecting with her. Okay, a little bit. I think that she's doing. What am I trying to say here? 
I think that she's doing a sort of traditionally or stereotypically male acting thing or something we associate with male identifying movie stars, which is to be like closed off and mysterious Mm. in this kind of uh, opaque way. And I think that some internalized sexism that society has taught me is like preventing me from enjoying that. Like I want in this movie to get more more of her pathos. I want that to be like explored more. And I simultaneously sort of recognize that it's impressive that they don't go that route, that they don't soften her. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I like Zoe Kravitz. I think her high fidelity is like amazing. I don't know if you guys watched it. Haven't watched, but it seems like people rave about it. That's kind of the thing I've liked her the most in. And then in this sort of thing, and I feel like a lot of her movie roles, she's like, I'm the hot, cool girl. I'm, you know, like, what are you, a pussy? You know, like, (laughs) it's almost surprising to me that there, there was some like thing on some girl on Twitter who like she was cast and did a thing that was like, here's what she'll be like in the movie. Hey, Batman, don't you think you should toughen up? (laughs) And it's like, it really feels like she's one step away from that of just being like, I'm Catwoman, I'm sexy, but I'm not sexy in the way that's accessible to men. (laughs) You know, like... Where, like, I just kind of don't love it. Um, and I miss the the parts of Catwoman that are, I'm a psycho lady, you know? Right. Like, I like that Michelle Pfeiffer is, like, yeah. fucking batshit crazy. Oh, yeah. And I miss that element of Catwoman that's literally, like, meow, I'm a Catwoman. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a larger, as we talked about before, like, a larger Batman villain complaint. It's, like, they're too grounded for me right. now. I want the heightening. I want the crazy stuff. And I like that, like, Pattinson is so out there, but still accessible. I wish she was a little more out there. But like, but when she claws people with her big ass claws, I love it. When she's like picking her cats up and putting them in her motorcycle, yes. I'm like, yes. I want a little bit more of the cat shit and a little bit less of like the I'm sexy. Don't talk to me, Batman. I have my own stuff going on. You know, like there's there's a medium that I feel like didn't quite hit for me. Right. And I feel like her plot line, which is really like, what if we kissed? I have my own stuff going on. We both have to thaw to fall in love. Didn't add a lot to the larger story. Mm-hmm. To yeah. Me. But like every time we went back to Catwoman, I was like, okay, this is a three hour movie. Yeah. You know, I, like. <laughs> if, no, the. And I feel bad saying this, but if there was a thing I was going to be like, we need less of this, it's like Catwoman being like, you don't know me. Don't talk to me. And I'm like, just like get on board or get, get out of the movie. <laughs> I so I the scene it's funny the scene where they kiss the first time I watched that I was like oh this is the this is the worst scene I go this is the but (laughs) then I watched it the second time and I really love the tension between Batman and Catwoman and there's this part where she goes he owes me and Pattinson does this smirk that I've never seen Batman do and it's this flirtatious like I'm into you but I'm trying to trying to stay grounded and he goes he owes you and he's got this like look and i'm like dude i've never seen batman do that in my life i think this scene is a little better than i think unbelievably sexy people and their chemistry is off the charts and that batman is a crazy virgin who doesn't know how to talk to girls and it gives those scenes a really fun different dynamic where she's like we're both sex people right and he's like Another thing where he's like, yeah, yeah I've totally had Or when sex. she's like, yeah. you he sound like not. you grew up rich. And he just has this blank stare like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Is, like, is it really that apparent? So yeah, shit. He cannot be cool. I love her. it. He can barely I talk love to her. It. Oh man. It's it's the it's it's that it's that chemistry between them that it's like at first I was like, eh, it's kinda it's kind of a it's kind of a weak point, but then I don't know, man, just rewatching it, I there's things you catch and you're just like, ooh, this is this makes the movie a little sexier. I mean, it is sexy and spicy. And when she's like, I'm going to go, she's like, I'm going to go do a murder. And he's like, oh, no, that's the hottest thing I've ever heard. No, stop. Don't do it. Don't or, or do the when, murder. Like, I, I don't think it's her on the motorcycle because it's just an incredible stunt. I don't want to take any away from Zoe Kravitz, but it just, I think it was a stunt person. But when she does the, like, the three, the, was it the 360 on the motorcycle and takes the bag and yoinks it like it was sort of cat-like yeah. and I, it, while it's still trying to be like human i was like okay that's definitely like quick cat-like reflexes there and it's like i mean the first time she leaves her apartment and she like swings down the fire yeah. escapes that's like full superhuman cat stuff yeah. and yeah. i got really hyped and then the rest of the movie she's like i'm just a Girl. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, where is the cat stuff? Yeah. There's stuff like that that I. Do. But I do love um, when she's got the eye drops in and she's spying and she. It it, it, it sort of reminds me of the Matrix in, in a sense where, and I yeah, Skarsgård is the most. He's everything is funny. Oh. Everything. Every second of them <laughs> is funny. This is like perfect casting. We're like, we want someone who's inherently a little pathetic. Great. Peter Sarsgaard is right here. He's very soft-spoken. He's very like, do you like me? Do you He's like so me? perfect. Like, that's his vibe. 100%. I was not expecting so that from him. You say that like it's a given, but I... Uh, we had... have different relationships with him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I primarily think of him as the like eco-terrorist from... Um... Night Moves, not the 70s Night Moves, the movie called Night Moves that came out like 10 years ago. Um, I've never even heard of that. So I, oh, it's like, a Je- it's like a Jesse Eisenberg movie where he meets Sarsgaard, and Sarsgaard's like, actually, it's, it's weirdly topical. Sarsgaard's like, huh. oh, you know what? Uh, I'm an eco-terrorist, and you should be too, and let's blow up this dam and cause a flood. And huh. Sarsgaard in that movie, he's like got long hair. He's got this beard that's like just his fuck off beard. He's so sexy and he's so soft spoken <laughs> and he's so sort of he's just got it. And it's just the absolute opposite in this movie where they're like, if you take all his hair away, you take all his cool away. I mean, he's been balding yeah. forever. I he's always think. Garden State to me. He's that like slacker balding guy, like just like who sells, who picks up knives out of a Costco or whatever, takes it to the things like I'm returning these, and gets money from. Have you guys not seen Garden? Or- no, I have not. State, yes. Okay. okay. Well, you ha- Hannah was nodding like she knew exactly what I was I saying. Andrew, you did. You got to see Garden State. You'd <laughs> like it. I've I've only seen that clip of Portman saying, "Do you want to see something that no one's ever done?" That's before? probably that the not worst part of the movie. <laughs> you just gotta divorce that movie from what people say about it and just it's, watch it. It's yeah. fine. It's good. It's charming. Yeah. Um, for me, Sarsgaard is always Hayden Christensen's boss in Shattered Glass. Oh yeah. He's just like. Why are you? Are you lying? What's going on? What is this? Like he's just like yeah. so patient. He's so quiet. He's just like, and then increasingly, it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, yeah, that movie is great. You should see that movie too. One of the best. One of the best. Yeah, and there's okay. The, there's this shot where like, I forget who it is. Two people leave the frame. Like they walk away. I think it's like Totoro and some and and Kravitz maybe. But Sarsgaard just wanders into the background of that shot as they're leaving, and he's just staring like, like so pathetically, like. 
I mean, we never see him in his capacity as DA, like good at his job, <laughs> yes. doing his job. We only experience him when he's like high on drops, very pathetic. And then he is about to be blown up, very pathetic. Just a drop head <laughs> DA. God. Yeah. And then, oh my gosh, like him, I really thought, so like they're at the funeral, the car comes through, it crashes, Bruce saves that boy, it's lovely. And I was like, okay, well, he's already dead. They're going to open this car and the DA's in it. And he's right. dead. And then Peter Sarger comes out, like, hands up, like, weeping into duct tape. Right. Like, ah, the shakiest boy in the world. And I was like, oh, no, this is better. This is so much better. This is what we want. This is why he's here. This is the point of Peter Sarsgaard in this movie. is for him to have to be like, ah, I don't know the answer to a puzzle. I don't know. <laughs> so good. And then he blows up like his wife, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes. In The Dark Knight. <laughs> I was going to say that I think it's incredible that he blows up with Batman standing right there. Yeah. Which is the last <laughs> thing I expected to see being used to movies. I was like, obviously, yeah. with three seconds to go, Batman runs for his fucking life. But no, he just <laughs> takes one right in Takes the face. explosion. <laughs> I was going to comment that. I mean, he's trying to get the answer till the last second. He's like, maybe in the in second one, he will tell me who the yes, bat is. Yes. He's going to die no matter what. But he sticks it out. <laughs> but, that, but that could add, you know, to the part, um, Hannah, I believe you said it, like he does want to die and he's basically putting yeah. himself in these positions where he could die and that Definitely could be one of them. He truly does not care no. what happens to himself at all. He's like, I'll just do what I can do. And if I die, then like, great, good. Who cares? Oh, Bruce. Yeah. I, yeah, I, that, I mean, that bomb scene to the police station, to the drug, uh, double cross car chase thing. I mean that I, I said it already, but like, that is like the prime part of the movie. I feel like, and I, I just feel like once you get past all of that and you're not hooked, I don't know what to tell you. I I mean, I just, I guess you just don't like superhero movies in a sense, but I just kind (laughs) of hold this higher than a superhero movie. Really. It's like, I don't know. It's just a ride. It's, it felt, it felt, it feels like, you know, I've, I've been like, I haven't felt this way since this movie or whatever, but like, I, I, truly do not believe i've left a theater and been like i need to watch this again because i really need to know what i just watched since like i was a kid and i saw like kill bill volume one and i was like what the hell was that that was like the greatest ride i've ever experienced and i you know maybe it's not the greatest ride but it's definitely one of them i i mean i'm going to remember i was like excited and yeah. kind of giddy the whole yeah. movie which is it, pretty rare like i I try really hard to go into movies yeah. planning to like them, Yes. But then it's pretty easy to lose me. Like, I'm kind of like, mm, pretty quickly. Totally. Um, and this one never lost me. It really, I was just like, yes, 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 yes. There is a point at the end where, like, there's the big fight in the Iceberg Lounge. Falcone gets shot outside. They catch the Riddler. And I was like, cool, it's the end of the movie. Then there's another half hour of movie. And that's the moment it dipped for me. <laughs> Yeah, the Batman ends on a big action set piece. It's just like an additional one. To which set piece do you refer? All the shit at Gotham Square Garden. Like sure. he's fighting guys, he's punching people, he's doing grappling hooks. I mean, like in hindsight, I want to make it clear that in hindsight, I don't want to lose the half the last half hour of the movie. Like that close of his character arc there is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, it just like in the moment in the theater, I was like, "Cool, we're done." What? Well, 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 well. 
Yeah. A whole other, we're doing a whole lot of other stuff too. Um, I don't know. Maybe three hours is a little too long for this movie for me, actually. Mm-hmm. Like in the moment, I did not mind. In hindsight, I'm like, couldn't we snip a couple of things? Aren't there a couple of places? Um, and I do think the Gotham Square Garden stuff, like on the whole, is batshit crazy. But you're just that... you're just kind of tired by that point, which I also Maybe. felt. And also, like, who built their city that far below sea level? Right. What? Is that part of Gotham that has always been part of the infrastructure that I didn't know about? Because I was, like, bamboozled. They wisely that. don't establish the the seawall thing too much, because if they did, then what was coming would be obvious. But it's sort of a lose-lose, because if you don't establish it very much, we're also, like... There's a seawall apparently he's blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> they they do lay the they lay the groundwork and then they blow up the seawall and then the city floods and that's cool. I just by that point was like, What? Another yeah. giant thing? And now there's like all these other non riddlers he has right, to punch right. and I don't know. Max, I'm not really your, complaining. I liked it. <laughs> to your point about it just being a very exciting experience, I think that the movie I don't have the vocabulary to say how, but I think that the movie really is just shot in a way that is like, we're making a movie. The movie feels like it's for love of the game. It doesn't, even though it is a corporate product, right. it doesn't feel like it. it. Whereas like, you know, obviously like Marvel and whatnot, all the movies kind of look the same. Yeah. And this feels different and certain elements of the plot are playing by different rules. So talking, speaking of the Sarsgaard bomb scene, it's like, we're so used to the hero solving the problem and the hero solving the problem just before the ticking clock right, runs right. out. It's very exciting to just see the ticking clock slowly count down to zero and then explode. Yeah. It's 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 kind of like saying that the normal plot rules that we are used to are not going to, you know, apply here. No, I you know, and it's not it's the detective noir feeling of it doesn't give it this, you know, typical good guy versus bad guy archetype that it's in there, you know, obviously, but it it lays a lot of, you know, things around it where it's like, it's not so black and white, right? Where it's like, it's not Batman versus Riddler. It's, you know, it's Batman trying to figure out like, who the hell, who the hell is the rat? And like, now I got to find, now I got to find the rat and now i have to find out who this Mm -hmm. psychopath leaving these clues behind and it's so hannah that's what i like about the ending is that Mm -hmm. i think that it's interesting that they follow sort of the necessity of how many plots they have going on and they're like actually Mm -hmm. this is going to have some huge action in the middle and then become kind of a battle of the minds between batman and riddler it's it's Mm -hmm. Even though it involves all these shooters and stuff, I think it is kind of an unconventional, muted ending thematically. Sure. I mean, in the same way that, like, they unmask the Riddler, and you're like, well, I know Paul Dano, but to everybody in the world, you're just like, well, that's some guy. Yes. And it's not some guy who's, like, we've seen in other scenes in the movie. Like, it's not like he's surprised it was this guy all right. along. You're like, nope, it's just this doughy dude. And so you show up at the end, there's a bunch of other doughy dudes, and you're like, well, indeed, villainy is always just some guy. It's some rat in the police. It's some guy who lost his mind doing accounting. It's just a dude. And Batman's like, right, you can't just punch every dude. There's larger (laughs) stuff at play. 
You can't fight societal corruption through punching. Noted. It works. I don't really need to complain about it. Well, Hannah, it just if- was the moment when I was like, cool, I feel like I've reached the conclusion of this movie. Nope. And that always is hard for me when I feel like I'm ready to be done yes. and I feel like the movie is done and then there's like a lot more movie. That's always hard for me, even if the remaining stuff is good. Right. So I, to ask I you to you sort of and, to, to pick your energy back up and be like, get reinvested. Yeah. yeah. Even if, again, even if it's really good stuff, I'm always like, oh, I was ready to go to the bathroom, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> Hannah, if you um feel felt like the Riddler was just some guy, maybe you'd be curious to know what was happening before the Batman? <laughs> Play the theme. Welcome to Authorized, Tertiary Tomes, a sub-podcast nestled within Authorized where we discuss books that are not novelizations, but similarly owe their existence to a film. Tertiary Tomes are strange objects meant to provide context for the film that birthed them. They do so by two means. First, with full-cloth invention about a protagonist's past, and secondly, through paint-by-numbers explanations for backstory that hit the eye like a literary shrug. Tertiary tomes are, on the other hand, pretty quick and fun. Before the Batman is a 2022 spin-off novel written by David Lumen, although most outlets credit the author as publishing House Random House. This is, at best, an error and at worst, an honest admission of how little autonomy the author had in this major studio project. The book follows Bruce Wayne through the years, chronicling how his wayward curiosity as an orphaned boy leads him to the talents and ideologies he champions in the film, The Batman. It was published in 2022 by Warner Brothers, and guess what? Random House. Who is David Lumen? It's just one paragraph, Hannah. Don't worry. (laughs) I, I see that. I'm proud of you. David Lumen is the author of over 65 books, the overwhelming majority being adaptations of film and television. He is most well-known for his Nickelodeon books, spanning from SpongeBob SquarePants to Jimmy Neutron. Prior to Before the Batman, he recently novelized Space Jam, A New Legacy, also for Warner Brothers. So So is Before the Batman a junior novelization? Is it a junior novel? I think it basically is. So, Max, just to catch up on what's happening here, I listened to the audiobook of Before the Batman, which is not a novelization of this film, but rather a prequel book written by this guy, David Lumen. Uh, and it is very short. It's like a two-hour audiobook, and it does seem to be designed to be digested by children. So I think it's sort of like Sixth Sense-ish in that it's like a, a sleeper junior. They're not saying this is for kids, but it is. Okay, so this was especially tough because the physical copies were sold out, So when I have like passages written down here and stuff, I was literally like dictating them from the audio (laughs) book. All right. Okay. So I'm just going to walk us through the plot of this thing. I'll try to make it quick. Uh, Feel free to hit me with your questions or whatever. So we start with a prologue where Bruce Wayne is 10 years old. 
It is the day that his father, Thomas, is going to announce his run for mayor. And so they've returned to the orphanage that was once the Wayne family residence so that Thomas mm. can announce his candidacy at a big public event. This is a question my mother had. Yeah, hit me was, with it. Is the house, well, which has now officially been answered. We walked out of the movie and she's like, so is the orphanage, was that Wayne Manor? And I was like, I don't know. But the answer is yes. It seems like they moved out of it to move into what they call Wayne Tower, which is cool. like a much more city. lavish place. And they, when they moved out of it, made it into an orphanage or paid for it to become an orphanage. Cool. Cool. As part of this press event, a choir of boys from the orphanage comes out to sing. Bruce feels that one boy is especially fixated on him with hostility and has no idea why. The boy wears wired-rimmed aviator glasses. Is Bruce, this the level of detail you're going to go through in the entire book? Maybe. But <laughs> here's the thing, Hannah. This one is not going to have what Good Burger had where I'm going like, what's next? What's next? What else? <laughs> what sorry, else? Like, a, like a bad it. comedian. Um, being bad. Yeah, because, like the Joker. You know what I mean? <laughs> because I have, yes, because I have uh, I have it all, all planned out. So uh, Bruce smiles at the boy, but the boy does not smile back. Then we do a time jump because we're into, that was the prologue, we're into chapter one now. Bruce is 17 and he's back from boarding school on summer vacation. Um, I do like that the book doesn't actually portray the murder of the Waynes, which you would think, like, the movie skipped it. So you'd think that, like, a children's prequel would be like, yeah, I'm going to grab the low-hanging fruit. But also this book is like, nope, sorry, you've seen that enough times. Uh Alfred asks Bruce what he's going to do for his summer vacation, and Bruce is unsure. He doesn't want to work for Wayne Enterprises, and he also doesn't want to do rich kids' sports and hobbies. He lives in a small, sparse room at Wayne Manor. Even though he could have it all, he prefers the simplicity. He spends his first morning working out, and Alfred drops in. Uh, we get the clarification that Alfred spent years working in British intelligence, and that's where he got his expansive martial arts training which he is training Bruce in as well. Now, to your point, Hannah, about Batman's fighting, I don't think that his fighting shows a martial arts background. No, no, it's a brawler background. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a brawler background. It's 100%. an I-punch-a-lot background. After his uh, session with Alfred, Bruce takes an elevator to the basement. There's a hidden door behind his furnace, uh, which is a train station that was specially made for Thomas and Martha Wayne, uh, so that they can get from their residence to the city uh, as easily as possible. It's been closed since their death, but Bruce has turned yeah, it into his proto-bat cave. Yeah. And they don't explain how he got this interest, but he conducts chemistry experiments down in the bat cave. He often brings home materials he finds on park benches and determines what they are. Uh, and he also keeps a sports car under a tarp that he's perpetually customizing. Then we jump to Edward Nashton, who still lives at the orphanage. His sole escape from the premises is his job delivering takeout food on his bike. Edward remembers seeing Bruce at the orphanage and remembers Bruce's smile as a cruel, condescending sneer. Edward recalls how the boys often joke about Bruce's fortune. So the, the boys will be like, they'll go into a giant room and be like, oh, this was Bruce Wayne's closet. Or uh, he recalls how one time they found a suitcase in the basement, and they're like, this is Bruce's wallet. Uh, Edward wants to become a forensic accountant due to his love of solving puzzles. Well, he did it. Congrats to him. What's that? He does become a forensic oh, accountant. Good yeah, for him. <laughs> Absolutely. 
He's uh he's a dreamer. <laughs> We're back with Bruce. He takes his muscle car out for a joyride. He's speeding up at yellow lights, turning right on reds, just trying not to stop at all. He's pulled over by the cops, who decide not to ticket him because, as they say, it's not worth the paperwork ticketing rich kids, because they just pay it with their pocket change. Bruce is troubled by this, both by how they judge him for his privilege and how he is seemingly above the law. Uh, a passage reads, Inwardly, he chafed at what the officer had said. The cost of a ticket wouldn't mean anything to him, a wane. No consequences. But shouldn't there be consequences, he asked himself. One of the cops says, If you're going to drive like that, you should be on a racetrack, not the streets. And then the other cop says, You know what, kid, just slow down. You're young. The world's your oyster. You've got plenty of time. No need to be in such a hurry. Bruce wanted a lecture even less than he wanted a ticket. Shouldn't they be doing something better than lurking on side streets giving speeding tickets to teenagers? I agree. Well, yeah, but also this cop Traffic is like... Traffic cops, boo. This, this cop is kind of nice to him. I was I, I found this funny. Cop's like, hey, kid, like, you're young. Like, you know, just make smart decisions. And Bruce gets in the car and he's like, I fucking hate cops. And it's like, that one might have been a nice one, though. That's teenagers, man. Straight <laughs> up. I, I feel that. I'm... Bruce takes the idea of, of going to a racetrack and does it. But this is a weird chapter where he just goes to a racetrack and he's like, can I race here? And they're like, you're too young. And he's like, okay, then I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back to the streets. The next night, he uh, puts a disguise on because he got recognized by the cops and he got recognized by the people at the racetrack and he's just sort of sick of it. So he puts like boots on and a, and a jacket and, and a hat. He gets in a race with a car at a stoplight. He wins, uh, gets a real rush from it. And so he starts trolling other stoplights, basically trying to get people to race him with very little success. Finally, a girl about his age sees him and gestures him to pull over. Uh, she introduces herself as Dex, and she's uh, also a car enthusiast, which is why she she picked him out. She was like, you know, cool car. Uh, Bruce introduces himself as Paul because he doesn't want her to know who she doesn't want her to know who he is. All of the world. <laughs> exactly. I don't know my jogger memory. I'm with I'm with Paul on this one. <laughs> She invites Bruce to watch an illegal street race with the promise that he can compete in a future race if he likes it. Just like in the Schumacher movies, lots of illegal street racing in Gotham. Um, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Back to Edward, he's out delivering food, and he's ruminating on his obsession with puzzles and riddles and how it's grown over the years. This is stupid. So <laughs> the examples that they give of how Edward is obsessed with riddles. Here's a passage. He couldn't deliver an order of rigatoni without thinking of a guy named Tony driving a rig. Every order of manicotti made him think of a man lying in a cot. Chicken Alfredo always made him picture a guy afraid of a chicken trembling with fear. This is, I think we discussed this the first time you tried to write riddles. Uh, is that the Riddler is a very difficult villain because you it's very hard to write good riddles. This is like and these aren't even riddles. Jokes. Like they have to be good and smart, and so few people are good and smart enough to write them satisfactorily. I cannot believe Certainly the chicken Alfredo author. one. That's, that's like that's horrible. Um, <laughs> then he has to deliver something to the Bowery, a part of town, and he, he thinks. Bow like bow wow, bow like branch, bow like take a bow, bow like the front of a boat, dowry, flowery, showery. That's better. <laughs> he's, he, it does kind of convey that he's having this like obsessive fixation on words. I don't know. That's maybe the one good thing about it. 
while he's caught up in this like bow and and bowery dowry flowery thing he is nearly hit by one of the street racers and runs his bike into a parked car uh he's angry at uh the rich kids living above the law and without considering others he'd thought lots of angry thoughts in his life and he'd wished terrible things on people who had teased him or pushed him around still edward had never done anything really bad but now just the thought of doing something wrong even something dangerously criminal thrilled him He's starting to think, like, maybe I should do fucked up stuff as opposed to just fantasizing about fucked up stuff. Time to do a murder. We go back to Bruce. He and Dex are preparing for another street race. This one Bruce is actually going to be in. As Dex admires Bruce's car, Edward tampers with Dex's car. Oh my god, does she die? Of course not. She's everyone's favorite character from the movie The Batman, Dex. <laughs> Right, Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah, Giovanni Ribisi. <laughs> During the race, Bruce is just behind Dex. He sees a flash at the back of her car. Then the engine explodes. She crashes into a building. Bruce takes a sample from... Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, he takes a sample from Dex's tailpipe. She survives. To chemically oh. test uh, because he's suspicious of sabotage. Edward admires from a distance that the race has been ruined because of his actions. Bruce tests the sample at the train station. He finds a substance he doesn't recognize but suspects is explosive. He's furious about this but feels he can't go to the police because the race itself was criminal. Alfred enters the station, revealing he knows about it as well as the illegal racing. He doesn't seem angry. Alfred says, Instead of racing away from that terrible event of your parents' murder, I think maybe it's time to start running towards something. Have you considered becoming a Batman? Like... Yes, exactly. I actually completely agree with Bruce because Bruce is like, this is ridiculous. That's a stupid thing to say. (laughs) And yes, literally being like, when you drive, you're trying to drive away from your past. That is actually stupid. And I do hate it. I think what the Batman well establishes is that Alfred is not very good at the emotional stuff. (laughs) Yes. Does not know what to say to this kid. Does not know how to help him. Is continually being like, have you considered being healthy instead <laughs> like it tracks the yeah, character for sure he's a father figure but he's not he's not a perfect match for a father figure in the ways you expect okay he doesn't resolve the car situation he can't figure it out he goes to college he keeps switching majors and then once he's chosen a new major he transfers to whichever college has the best department for that major then he'll change Classic majors again rinse repeat Now he's in his late 20s, after college, he returns home. He has suddenly decided, this is very clunky, he's just decided that he wants to bring justice to Gotham, but he isn't sure how. Was one of his majors, like, political science or... If it was, David Lumen didn't tell me. Okay. Uh, During a day in the city, Bruce witnesses a mugging and trips the mugger. Uh, he immediately gets a bunch of people basically going, oh my God, Bruce Wayne just stopped that mugger. And so... <laughs> He's like, well, that won't work. Exactly. Put on a bat suit. He realizes that he needs anonymity in order to fight crime, which uh, that's a stupid chapter. <laughs> uh, okay, we're back with Edward. He's graduated from college. He does become a forensic accountant, as we know. He's still obsessed with puzzles. And then they just throw in that he also likes greeting cards. Doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bruce and Alfred discuss Salvatore Moroni's arrest. Alfred bemoans that Carmine Falcone is bound to fill Moroni's power vacuum. Bruce returns to the station, which now has computers and other high-tech gadgetry, but isn't quite the full Batcave. Bruce has made a mask and bulletproof suit in which to fight crime. He calls Wayne... This is actually funny. Bruce calls Wayne Enterprises to get info on materials to make the suit. He's like, I need something bulletproof or whatever. And it, it just freaks the employee out a ton. <laughs> the, guy, <laughs> the guy is like, wait, why are you calling me? You're Bruce Wayne. And he's like, oh, I just need some info on this. And he's like, did we do something wrong? Like, are you... Why are you taking an interest in the business? You never do this. He's like, no, can I just have the info? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then... <laughs> He gets, like, a call from Alfred, and Alfred's like, were you pissed at an employee at Wayne Enterprises? <laughs> okay, that's good. I like that. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Then it's another stupid thing. He sees a bat fly around the station and likes it. He's like, it. what if I was a bat? Yeah, exactly. Got it. Got it. Look, I don't need the origin story in, like, every iteration, but, like, <laughs> him falling down the well in Begins is way better than him just seeing a bat and going, bat is cool. What if I was a bat? <laughs> Um, I do appreciate that this movie skips the origin story completely in every way. I love yes. it. It's awesome. It's it's Huge amazing. Relief. All right. A guy at work calls Edward weird and asks him what the point of puzzles is since they don't do anything. He specific, specifically calls him Ed weird. It, <laughs> it really gets to Edward and he starts thinking about when he sabotaged the street race and how that action had an actual point to it. I would never be mean to Paul Dano because he looks like a school shooter. <laughs> Like that feels like an obvious mistake. <laughs> Max, I'm so sorry that I'm putting you through this. No, no, no. It's a, it's, it's, it's totally fine. I'm I, I'm I'm interested. It's it's entertaining. It's 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 interesting and, and mercifully short. We're we're yeah. we're most of the way through it. Batman or not Batman? Bruce puts together like a a, a proto Batman costume that's just sort of a, a a mask that doesn't really have any identifiable features with his his bulletproof material and everything. Uh, and, and there's a good line about the efficacy of the suit. He says, if the criminals were frightened by it, that was to his advantage. If they were confused, that was also to his advantage. If they were amused, they would underestimate him another advantage. Pretty good point. Looking ridiculous could help him out. Bruce heads out to fight crime. He witnesses a thief break into a jewelry store. Lucky break for him, because he just like walks into the city looking for crime. Uh... The, the thief does so by rubbing a gel on the window of the jewelry store and using some sort of detonator to explode the gel. Bruce notes that this seems like a sophisticated piece of technology for a low-level thief to have. He fights the thief but lets him escape after dropping a GPS tracker into his pocket. Bruce asks Alfred to use the family name to put him in touch with a police officer who is new and ambitious, so basically someone who could not yet be corrupted. Alfred helps Bruce anonymously send info on the gel to Lieutenant Janice Durr, as well as- Durr? Durr. Okay. <laughs> yeah, who's she? And why is her last name Durr? <laughs> as well as, uh, he also sends her questions about whether the gel has been seen before. Durr confides in a co-worker that the gel is only used by the military and that its presence in Gotham is very alarming. Bruce then tracks down the robber from the jewelry store using the tracker. He demands the identity of the person selling the thief the gel. However, even the thief does not know, as the seller also wears a mask. Brucer, Brucer, <laughs> Bruce Mann tells the thief that he must lead him to the person right now. 
We switch to Edward, who's driving aimlessly around Gotham, full of rage but without any direction to put that rage in. He ends up at the orphanage, a place that he still deeply hates. He becomes excited at the creeping thought that he can't shake. What if it wasn't? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. What if it wasn't there anymore? Bruce watches from across the street as the robber buys gel from his hookup. The robber immediately... This is funny. The robber buys the gel. Bruce is watching him from across the street. Then Bruce sees the the robber just, like, point at Bruce and be like, that guy made made me come here to catch you. (laughs) He immediately outs Bruce. Bruce chases the supplier. And uh, the supplier's a shockingly keen driver. Finally, Bruce cuts them off and unmasks the driver. Any guesses, guys? It's the girl. It's Giovanni Ribisi. It's Giovanni Ribisi. Dex himself. (laughs) Sorry, Max. Bruce's shock at seeing Dex allows her to get away. Back at the train station, he uses old Gotham yearbooks to find her real name, Dorothy Alexandra Starling. Bruce passes this name to Lieutenant Durr. Durr is unable to find any criminal record, but does identify her as the daughter of a Gotham inmate, Bennett Starling. Bruce goes to the prison where Bennett Starling is, and I can't tell if this scene is really stupid or if I just don't get it. Bruce walks in to the prison, and the person is like, you here to see someone? Bruce goes, yeah. Okay, who? Bruce stared at the guard for a second. Smith. Stupid. Smith? Stupid. The guard asked, which one? We got a lot of Smiths. Goes by Smitty. (laughs) We got a lot of those too, buddy, the guard said. You're going to have to get a little more specific. Is that all you know? Is he dressed as Batman or is he Bruce Wayne? He's Bruce Wayne. Oh my God. Is that all you know, Smitty? Bruce nodded. Big guy. He was starting to think coming inside to the visitor's room wasn't such a great idea. But to his surprise, the guard grinned. Oh, yeah, that's Smitty. I'll buzz you in. How does this work? How does this connect him with the right person? Like, I what? I mean, that part is good, and we'll get to it. But the fact that he just walks in and goes, Smitty, and the guy's like, obviously, you're lying. And he's like, the big Smitty. (laughs) And the dude's like, right, right. The big Smitty, my best friend. (laughs) Uh, yeah i wrote down this is terrible and the guard is awful at his job bruce watches dex talk with her father because all of the visiting areas sort of have visibility to each other as he leaves this is great as bruce leaves smitty comes in smitty big smitty bruce says sorry smitty gotta go and rushes after dex and then the book makes sure to let us know Smitty is disappointed he didn't really have a visitor. I would be too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Bruce follows Dex's car and his motorbike. He waits, then accosts her later that evening as she leaves to make another sale. Bruce first masks his voice to conceal his identity from her. Dex reveals that the operation is run by Reed Piggy Porcello who is an acolyte of Oswald Cobblepot. She reveals that Piggy framed her father and got him thrown in prison, all because he needed a good driver. Piggy says that if Dex helps him sell gel, he'll get her father back out of prison. Why isn't it drops? Why isn't she selling drops? Yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense. And also, it doesn't make sense to fucking frame a guy just to get his daughter to drive for you. Like, I get she's good, but like, that is a lot of trouble to go to. Edward picks up 
plastic gasoline cans from a gas station. Uh, I'm going to fill this for my lawnmower, he says to the cashier. Unnecessary. Dex meets her supplier at it. Well, one thing that the book does well is it shows that um, Edward is always lying to people and he thinks he's very clever in getting away with it. And we, the reader, can tell that his lies are terrible and they think he's weird. What a sweetie. What a murder psycho. Dex meets her supplier at an abandoned factory. While he's counting Dex's cash, Bruce throws the driver out and drives his truck off. At the orphanage, the fire alarm wakes the orphans. The orphanage empty now. Edward sneaks in with his gas cans. He pockets a photo of Bruce Wayne that hangs on the wall and begins spreading the gas everywhere. The driver of the truck, even though he's been thrown out, puts up quite a fight, first attempting to detonate all of the gel that is in the back of the truck Bruce is driving. Bruce and Dex knock him out and load him into the back of the truck. Bruce reveals that his plan is, if you're right about Porcello running this operation without his knowledge, he's going to be in big trouble with his boss. He'll have to shut the whole thing down. That includes framing your dad and keeping him in prison. I'm unclear on why he couldn't just go to the cops and tell them all this. He had to get the truck full of explosive gel for some reason. Durr finds the van with the unconscious man in it, along with a large quantity of the gel. Batman mails Durr paperwork regarding the operation, as well as Bennett Starling. The paperwork has a drawing of a bat at the bottom. Stupid. Piggy Porcello comes to see Falcone and Cobblepot at Falcone's club. Falcone reveals that he knows about the explosives business. He confirms that the police have busted it and that Bennett Starling is to be released from prison. Surprisingly, he lets Piggy go, which makes me think that it's a kid's book. Because he should kill Piggy. It doesn't make any sense. The orphanage is irreparably burned, never to be used as a business again. Edward returns to the scene of the crime in the middle of the night, discouraged. While he enjoyed committing arson, no one understood the message behind it. No one got his point at all. Gotta start leaving notes. Yeah, yeah, here we go. (laughs) And he had no notoriety for himself either. He realizes that using riddles in his crimes will grant him a sense of authorship and allow him to be seen as a figure. Back at Wayne Manor, Alfred notes the coincidence that is the detective he recommended being the one to make this giant explosives bust. Bruce is coy, revealing nothing, and Alfred admits he knows about Bruce's project. Alfred does not approve, but says he understands. Bruce meets with Dex, who tells him that a Wayne Enterprises lawyer is fighting for her father's freedom. Feels sloppy on Bruce's part. They part ways. Then in the epilogue, We basically get to the beginning of the film. Bruce is stalking through the streets looking for criminals. There's even parts of the monologue in it. And a stupid line where they're like, Bruce could feel them all around him. And then the next line is, them meant criminals. (laughs) (laughs) The dead people. It was worth it. It was worth it to spend half an hour on this book to get to them was the criminal. I think it was an interminable 20 minutes. Hannah Blackman. (laughs) Hannah Blackman, uh, you are, you are, um, you can do it. You, Hannah Blackman, you, Andrew, you are the receiver of a riddle and the riddle says you must recommend a film. Would you recommend the Batman? I would. Next person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hannah Blackman, you are, uh, about to. Uh, jump off of a very tall building, um, hoping that your parachute will save you. Uh, but there is the small possibility that you will hit a train bridge in midair. The train bridge 
has a giant ad for Matt Reeves, the Batman on it. Would you trust that ad to save your life? Uh, yes, I trust the Batman. Great. Max Fitzpatrick. Max, oh, go ahead. No, you do it. No, no, Hannah, <laughs> you do it. I don't have one. Max, yes. you're a very sexy cat burglar. Okay. Your dad is a real bad jerk man. You go to confront him about his evil criminal stuff. Maybe he killed your mom. Maybe he killed your yes. friend. And he says, wait, wait, I want to recommend a movie to you. And that movie is Matt Reeves, the Batman. Would you accept that recommendation? Yeah, I would. <laughs> great stuff. We did it. Yeah, <laughs> Great movie. Big fan. It's, to our listeners, if great. you really are one of the people who <laughs> just typed in the Batman uh, into Spotify, we usually cover movie novelizations. We have... Two episodes on the Schumacher Batman novelizations. Check those out. And uh, yeah. Someday I'm sure we'll circle back to the Burton Batman I would love to do the Burtons. I'd love to do the Nolans. I'd, I'd, I'd sure. love, to, love to touch them all. Max Fitzpatrick, what's going Thank on in your you. life? What should people check out? Um, so I'm uh, right now, it's just kind of uh, going through like a festival circuit thing. But I was in a Chicago... Uh, pilot in 2019 and then COVID happened and like put us on major hold but uh, it's out there it's it's going to festivals and stuff like that uh, what's it called? It's called Grey Market I'm in it I have a, a nice little part it's not out yet yeah it's 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 coming I guess um, hopefully uh, sooner than later and um, yeah yeah it was sort of it's sort of sudden how it's how it's coming about um but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm glad to be on the show again. Uh, you know, don't be a stranger. Uh, here, let me just let me just sign us off here. Um, hmm. Anyway, <laughs> good night, everyone. <laughs> So, given that we have another cinematic iteration of the Riddler, I have, of course, written more no! riddles for you. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Max, I don't know if you heard the uh, Batman Forever episode, but I subjected subjected everyone to uh, some riddles I wrote, uh, and okay. the riddles were too good for them, too smart for my wow. So They weren't good riddles. <laughs> here's the first one. Okay. Give me, bank me, I'm proper. I'm needed where I'm due. Does this have to do like with rent or like paying bills? I will say that this one is inspired by the um, justice riddle in that it's just a word that fits into all of these contexts. Everybody give up? The rent? It's not the rent. The answer to this one <laughs> is credit. Ah, okay. 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 Yeah, yeah. Hey, Hannah, so far... Like, I feel like way more cogent than the first batch of riddles. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Credit. One for one isn't high. I'm not putting my money on you yet. Cool. Only four to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Riddle number two. The opposite of what love should be, this comes after the wash. 
All right, give up. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a such a great game and so conducive to podcasting. <laughs> the answer to this one. Oh well, it always is like a twenty minute ordeal, and then I cut it down to eight minutes where it sounds like you guys get them right away. Oh. <laughs> All right. The answer to this one is conditioner. Oh, as in. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, so I was thinking of washing your clothes. I damn it. I mean, I feel really good about you damning something because yeah. that makes it sound like it's a riddle that could have been solved. No, I, I, because I, yeah, yeah. I really wish I would have thought about this, washing these are other things on the first set of riddles. You are yeah. absolutely right on that. These are. Thank you. I've I've been writing some every day since that last time. <laughs> You're about to become a murderer. <laughs> With 500 <laughs> followers. <laughs> yeah, real fringe types. <laughs> Riddle number three of five. A business known for spies and actors. This is how you do what you do. A business known for spies and actors. This is how you do what you do. Theatrically. No, not good. Undercover. I'm thinking of Serpico for some reason. Um, the answer's Serpico. No. No, it's no. not. You got it. <laughs> Stop. It's... Stop teasing. <laughs> This is like Wordle, but just worse. No, yeah, without hints. Yeah, with no no hints. <laughs> <laughs> now you know how the fucking DA felt. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> this is one of the issues with the Riddlers. He's like, everybody loves Riddles. And you're like, yeah. nobody loves Riddles. Nobody's brain works like that. Business. I was very put off by the fact that he gave a riddle for the DA to solve. Then he heard Batman go... It's justice. And he was like, it is justice. You got it. It feels like he would be like, they're for him. They're not for you. But then we wouldn't get to hear as many riddles. The yeah. DA would have gotten them all wrong immediately. <laughs> poor, poor Peter Sarsgaard. That scene is just the Riddler going, I crawl in the morning. I walk on two legs during the day and I walk on four at night or whatever it is. And and Sarsgaard just doesn't get it and blows up. <laughs> He's just a normal guy. The answer to this one is agency. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that one as much. I don't. Yeah. Hmm. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm going to judge. Not only will I get them all wrong, I'll be like, that wasn't very good. I mean, given that the feedback last <laughs> time was like, you are a horrible riddle maker who should never try your hand. <laughs> never <at this>. riddle again. <laughs> the next riddle. Hurt this playing tennis plus a movie with a flying car. Elbow grease. These make the work that's needed. The answer is elbow grease. That was almost too easy. Well, I was hoping that like cinephiles would be like, back to the future. I, I yeah, me. <laughs> that's where my mind went for i was like yeah we don't need roads uh damn it okay well that was quick break my back you crack me to gain power you are a worm <laughs> break my back you crack me mm. to gain power you are a worm a, a sidewalk? Did you say Serpico? Because that's I said Serpico, yeah. <laughs> Give up. This is a book. Okay. <sighs> I think this one could use a little work, but I, I kind <laughs> you of are like a the, worm. <laughs> <laughs> like, you are a worm is fantastic. Crack me to gain power is not quite there. Well, it, rely, it relies on the... I, I think it's bad because yeah. it relies on knowledge is power. 
yeah. which is I like I like to break my back, the spine of the book, all that. I you know yeah, what? That works. I'll take I'll take all your riddles as clever. I'm, I'm just saying I'm <laughs> not going to solve. Wonderful, them. and we're going to end the episode right after that compliment. <laughs> 